0: okay members can i call the meeting to order we're now in public session and advise members uh, that uh, despite the public gallery being closed we are indeed now in public session can i ask assembly broadcasting to add all of the members into the spotlight for the next four items uh, and advise members that you're in the spotlight and that you uh, might want to mute your devices clerk agenda item one any apologies
1: None. Here.
0: Okay, 10 down to them, members, is chairperson's business. Can I advise members that the Scottish Government has announced uh, that owing to the disruption to the provision of education in schools during COVID-19, that there will be no advanced or higher examinations in Scotland in 2021. Grades will instead be awarded based on teacher judgment. Can I remind members that externally set and externally marked assessments delivered in school will also replace exams in Wales, while in England, A-levels and GCSE exams will be undertaken but with reduced assessment specifications and reduced marking regimes. Can I uh, seek the Committee's view uh, on the department approach, which is based on reduced exam specification for GCSE and limited changes to practicals for A2 le- level examinations. Uh, this is obviously something that we will be asking the Minister about today, but do members yeah. wish to say anything at this stage?
2: Yeah,
0: um, Daniel? I think the situation
3: is very, very concerning, Chair, uh, as I'm sure the rest of you uh, have, uh, as well as I have, been engaging with schools and teachers and principals, and the stress levels are through the roof, anxiety levels are quite significant. Um, There is a very clear uh, uh, belief in all of our schools amongst our young people and our teachers that GCSE examinations and A-levels should be cancelled this year. Um, A huge amount of discussion around GCSE in particular given the range of uh, subject areas and topics and also given how COVID has impacted on our children's education and how isolation continues to affect uh, the operation of schools and teaching within the school environment. Uh, I don't think it is enough uh, that the uh, Minister simply uh, go compare uh, with other areas in relation to exams and dig his heels in, which is very unhelpful and adding considerable uh, stress to an already very difficult situation. Exams need to be cancelled this year, they need to be cancelled for GCSE, and they need to be cancelled for A-Level and AS-Level. Uh, and it's up to the Minister to do that. I've had conversations with the CIA. I've had conversations with the Children and Young Persons Commissioner, with the Mental Health Champion, and there's been a huge concern in relation to the agenda that that the Minister is going on. It doesn't seem to be listening to the advice of anybody in relation to this, and it has given me serious concern that we're headed for a similar situation, if not much worse, uh, to that that we witnessed in the summer, which let a lot of young people down and devastated quite a lot of young people in terms of their uh, opportunities for the future. So they have to be cancelled. I I
0: don't think there's any other option. Okay. Any other members wish to comment at this stage or content to... Direct questions to the Minister on that subject during the briefing. Yep. Yeah. Okay members. Agenda item two point two trends in international maths and science study. Can I advise members uh, that the Deputy Chairperson and I met informally with Department of Education officials on the eighth of December in order to receive a briefing on findings for the Northern Ireland uh, results of the trends in international maths and science study. Tim's study provides a snapshot assessment of science and maths education at primary six and shows how Northern Ireland compares with other jurisdictions. A fuller report has now been published by the Department of Education. The report shows good results for maths. Uh, Previous international reports show that at post-primary results can vary significantly according to socio-economic background. And I would suggest that a more longitudinal study of a representative pupil cohort is required uh, to really interrogate that differential of results. Um, the, the the briefing um, and the questions from the Minister uh, on the floor of the Assembly yesterday um, suggested uh, that progress had been made with regards to attainment gap between uh, most affluent uh, and pupils with uh, disadvantage. Um, I think that means in terms of comparisons to other countries um, as regrettably the the findings were that um, in in both mathematics and science there was a significant differentiation in achievement between pupils uh, in schools categorised as most affluent and pupils with disadvantage so I think there is still work to be done on that regard but right to record the uh, the attainment levels for for maths in particular and and how well Northern Ireland uh, performs um, educationally in comparison um, with countries right across the rest of the world. Um, Are members uh, content to issue the press release which has been tabled? Um, You might not have had a chance to glance at that just yet, so I could return to that in AOB if if you haven't. Would that be appropriate, Clark? Are members content to agree? Yeah, ju- just on that uh, here,
3: yeah. uh, I, I think this is hugely significant. Uh, sixth in the world in relation to um, maths uh, uh, for young people is a very, very strong uh, representation of the quality of uh, our young people and their their achievements. And I think that in our schools as well. Uh, and I think that uh, we we should congratulate uh, wholly uh, our young people and absolutely our schools and teachers. Uh, in relation to that very significant achievement, it's, it's, for a small, small, small place like this it, uh, it,
0: it is um, it's hugely significant. Uh, I was very, very delighted to see it. Agreed. Um, the, the the press release is obviously to do that as well. Um, Recognise that once again, um, school primary school pupils, teaching staff, school leaders have have shown that they're amongst the very best in the world. Um, if members want to have a glance at that press release and maybe return to today it, it would be just to sign it off. Is that best approach, can With that, yep. Oh. Okay, members.
2: Can I just ask you? Yes, Peter. Uh, in, in, sorry, Robin.
4: In terms of the um, uh, specialist team that the minister has established to address underachievement, um, and obviously there is an indication that that gap is, is this narrowing? It's it needs to borrow even even more and are the specialist team actually establishing uh being made aware of this within this report and uh, something they will address
1: chairperson that's in the terms of reference um of the uh, specialist team that they're going to look at international studies and i imagine mm-hmm. they would look at the most recent and the most comprehensive which is which is Tim's. so uh, yeah. yeah they'll be taking that into account yeah. i would anticipate yeah okay you, okay
0: Okay. Members also content to arrange a formal briefing with the department on the study. Agreed?
2: Yeah.
0: Agreed? That's great. Okay. Uh, 2.3 is was our informal committee event um, with regards to vulnerable children. Can I remind members that the committee undertook an informal Zoom stakeholder engagement event on Thursday the 3rd of December? With stakeholders on issues relating to special educational needs and access to support for vulnerable children, a written note of the feedback from stakeholders has been tabled. Can I seek the Committee's agreement to circulate the note to participants for comment? Agreed? Agreed. Thank you. Can I also seek the Committee's agreement to consider the way forward for this subject, for example, a committee motion at next week's meeting? Is that agreed? Agreed. Thank you. We can also uh, seek committee's views on undertaking more Zoom events of this kind, uh, and ask members to indicate what subjects they would like these events to be based on. For example, emotional health and well-being framework, or perhaps more urgently, examinations. Um, members wish to suggest yes, emotional mental health and, uh, really this, this idea. Okay. I'll note that if, if members um, want to have a think about what other. Um, themes we would do well to cover um, perhaps you could bring that forward next week when we're considering what action to take further to our, our last event members agree? Yeah.
5: I just want right. to say it was a um, really excellent event uh, I really really enjoyed it I know I was lit under it um, and also to commend the Assembly staff it was so well organised and well run uh, I had gone to many of Zooms and we we can't stay in the same room. We all disappear. So it was excellent. So well done, everybody, for your hard work on that as well. So I think it definitely is a good way forward, um, whilst we can't bring people in and meet them in rooms. So I would agree. Yep. I agree. Thank you,
0: Karen. Um, yeah, Chair, do you Yes, Mars? Uh, the, the notification for the meeting arrived, uh, uh, I don't see it on those of so football address problems.
6: Uh, so yeah, the, the, the
0: details were sent to that just make sure that nothing is sent to that email again because that's a that's full-blown email Okay, we'll get, we'll get that admin sorted for you with the clerk, um, Morris yeah. Okay. Yeah, thank you. okay, members, yeah. thank you uh, 2.4, can I seek the committee agreement that uh, in order to enhance committee communications uh, we will meet regularly with uh, that I will meet regularly with the assembly communications team and continue to seek committee's agreement for any committee communications agreed agreed thank you can i refer members then to draft minutes of the committee meeting of the 2nd of december page six and seek members agreement that they are a complete and accurate record of proceedings agreed agreed okay members there are no matters arising so we can move to agenda item five our ministerial briefing on covid 19 response issues and can i ask assembly broadcasting to remove all members from the spotlight and add the witnesses uh, to the meeting. Can I refer members to a cover note from committee clerk at page fourteen, correspondence from the minister on the new child care sustainability fund at page twenty four, the pupil and workforce attendance survey for first of December twenty twenty at page thirty one, correspondence on restart issues, examinations, contingency planning and guidance for schools from page thirty five, letters from schools at page one one two, and. Uh, Questions for the Minister from the Equality Coalition at page one two oh. There's also a copy of the letter to schools on Christmas closure or lack thereof uh, from the Minister in tabled items. Can I welcome then Peter Weir, MLA, Minister of Education, and the following officials, Gary Fair, Finance Director, Ricky Irwin, Director of Inclusion and Wellbeing, James Hutchinson, Restart Director, and Karen McCulloch, Director of Curriculum Qualification and standards. By way of welcome, can I say we're glad uh, to have you at the committee today to answer questions and provide an update on a a number of extremely important and urgent issues um, relating to the work of the Department of Education and the COVID-19 pandemic impact. Um, Can I advise the Minister and and officials that the session will be reported by Hansard and invite the Education Minister to provide us with a, a brief opening statement before taking questions from the members. Thank you, Minister.
7: Uh, thank you, Chair, and thank you to the, the committee. And I obviously, guess you've already introduced the, the team that are around us so on not um, take time up with, with mentioning uh, or introducing any of them. Again, I you're all familiar with them. So thank you for the opportunity for this uh, opportunity for briefing, particularly uh, on a wide range of issues facing the educational sector, as as when our schools reopened in august um,
2: i think there were some people who were uncertain whether that was the right thing to do but i think with the hard work and professionalism i think of our dedicated
7: school workforce and indeed also the contribution of parents uh, we've achieved an awful lot during that period uh, and it's undoubtedly the case that children across northern ireland benefited from that face-to-face return to school now the pandemic has impacted on all our children and young people but particularly vulnerable and disadvantaged children. So many children with disabilities and complex needs receive therapies and support while they are physically in school and we know that many of these families have been struggling during the pandemic and indeed the, the, the benefits of routine and the protection of school grounds. As we reopened in August I think it was obvious to everybody that there was going to be challenges and from conversations I had with school leaders here they've dealt with a wide range of difficult and exceptional circumstances so I want publicly uh, in this forum to thank principals, teachers and school support staff who've met these challenges with calm and resolved determination and thanks to uh, their efforts uh, our children have been able to return to school. Turning to the issue of curriculum and remote learning, during the continued, uh, continued impact of the pandemic We've asked all schools to have contingency plans in place to deliver remote learning in the event of either a school closure, or that uh, more frequently that a class or group of pupils need to self-isolate. Uh, well, theory of the power is there to do it. We've not gone down the route of a mandatory or legal approach. And I don't want to place any sort of additional legal burden on our schools. I believe that we're in a space that we don't need to. Feedback from our inspector indicates that all schools um, they survey have contingency plans in place and the majority of them, them at some point. Schools vary very
2: significant in context. What works in one type of school, in one area, may not be suitable for other kinds of schools. So
4: my primary key priority is to keep our children in school wherever and whenever possible but to support and empower schools to deliver
7: uh, high quality remote learning when it's required. My department has provided detailed guidance for schools for remote learning and curriculum planning in 2021. Further guidance materials and case studies have also been produced by my department's Continuity of Learning project. The EA has developed a menu of online teacher professional learning uh, sessions, particularly focused on remote learning and also mental health and wellbeing. Uh, Last week, all schools were provided with a checklist of readiness for remote learning. The EA and CCMS have developed this in conjunction with principals to support uh, schools to plan and reflect on their remote learning, uh, what they have in place, and the key areas of development. In order to support schools, I have relaxed the range of other statutory requirements, for example in relation to school development planning to reduce the bureaucratic burden and free up time for curriculum planning. We're fortunate for Northern Ireland schools have access to a provided uh, IT system C2K, that's not something which has been available in a number of other jurisdictions. This has supported online access to school services from the beginning of COVID school closures. In recent months additional funding has been provided to continue to improve the services available, including additional learning applications and up, uh, upgrading bandwidth. My department's uh, scheme to provide IT and Wi-Fi uh, access uh, to our educated disadvantaged and vulnerable learners, has distributed almost 10,000 devices and remains open to uh, for new applications. The Northern Ireland curriculum is designed to have uh, limited legal uh, prescription, and giving schools as much flexibility as possible uh, what they choose to teach, for how long, and how often, and it allows schools to use approaches that best suit their, uh, their pupils. This means that we don't need to. Spend to supply our curriculum when schools reopen. Rather, we've helped empower schools to know uh, that they have the freedom with minimum entitlement to the statutory curriculum to develop content they believe is best for their, their pupils within their own school community and environment at this particular time. School leaders and, and teachers can use knowledge and professional expertise to adapt original plans and uh, practice to suit their own circumstances. Our key messages across the system is that the aim for this year is to support students to be motivated to learn and towards uh, becoming skilled and independent learners. <laughs> We've also stressed the key importance of ensuring children have good emotional health and wellbeing, are engaged and motivated to learn and have the tools and skills they require for learning. Company with a high level of uncertainty and change presented by COVID requires adaptability and psychological resilience. This is underlying uh, under the key. Importance of the whole curriculum, thinking skills and personal uh, capabilities at the heart of the modern curriculum. In the rapidly changing environment of the 21st century, an emphasis on skills uh, for an unpredictable world, such as communication, collaboration, informed decision-making, uh, creative problem-solving, adaptability, alongside empathy and emotional intelligence is vital. At the same time, school, my partnerships have supported schools with additional funding uh, such as the Engage programme to provide additional teaching support and a Mental Health and Wellbeing fund scheme to provide uh, laptops, other digital and also the scheme to provide laptops and digital devices to our most vulnerable uh, learners. The Engage programme of 12 million uh, is providing that, that help to primary and post-primary. The programme is delivering child-centred, one-to-one, small group or team teaching support By qualified teachers uh, to pupils who require additional support to be engaged in learning. Turning as much to the the issue of public examinations, uh, I believe that the experience of 2020 has shown that exams remain the fairest method of assessing and awarding qualifications. We saw right across the UK and indeed much of Western Europe that despite every effort and good intention, other forms of assessment are likely to be more inequitable. We know from research that, for example, that non examination assessment can be subject to bias, with the result that disadvantaged uh, students or students with special educational needs suffer the most. My priority therefore is to ensure that public examinations go ahead. I also believe it's extremely important that following the cancellation of examinations last summer, young people are given the opportunity to demonstrate their knowledge and skills through the examination process. Exams are the best way of giving young people the opportunity to show uh, what they can do and why it's so important uh, that they take place next summer. I've already agreed significant, uh, significant changes to CCA qualifications, making a range of public health adaptations to ensure safe delivery and reducing the number of exams pupils will need to take. These measures set earlier in the academic year have uh, offered a sensible and pragmatic route to the initial week. Of uh, COVID disruption. However, I'm considering a range of further constituency arrangements and mitigations which will take account of the ongoing disruption. I've received advice from SEA and my officials are discussing potential options with school leaders before final decisions are made, and I would hope to be in a position to make an announcement early next week on that. I'm considering both adjustments for individual candidates to take account of differences in the lost face to face teaching time and also systems-wide adjustments to qualifications to reduce the assessment burden for all our young people. Contingency arrangements will also be required to cover all eventualities in case exams uh, are missed during the summer. However, I want to be clear I will not be cancelling examinations. While Wales and Scotland have cancelled uh, some public uh, public examinations, it now appears that in Wales young people will face externally set of things you yourself Externally set examinations, and these will be taken earlier than usual. There is a high degree of uncertainty across the wealth system about what will happen. And while I am not going to criticise other jurisdictions, concerns are emerging about the lack of clarity on what the classroom teaching proposal will involve. How families uh, will be, be, how firm will be ensured. Why the tests are held so early in the school year, uh, when people submit so much education and also whether English universities in particular would treat A-level, Welsh A-level students on a par with their English and Northern Irish counterparts. Most examinations have been honed and perfected over many years. During, pan- during the pandemic, the Welsh government
2: had chosen to start a completely new system from scratch. No past papers tell people, no mark schemes, and pupils are very unclear as to what to expect. Therefore, while on
7: the face of there's of simply yes, cancelling examinations, would seem to be a good uh, approach. I do not believe it's the right approach for our young people. Such an approach would also put significant tension on teacher pupil relationships. While some schools have called for center assessed grades, and I understand their position, I think we heard from many schools who came counselling examinations which put school leaders and teachers under terrible pressure. putting the schools at risk of numerous defeats and litigations? I've also heard from many young people in recent days who want examinations to go ahead. Really? I'm quite sure, however, that this is not business as usual. I know our students are facing unprecedented disruptions to their learning. That's why our exams are <coughs> different this year, and why we taking exceptional steps to ensure that they are as fair as possible in the circumstances. school can be confident that my department at CCA have the tools to make summer 2021 exams fair, and that young people in Northern Ireland will not be disadvantaged. So inclusion, inclusion. Uh, I want to thank the committee for the opportunity to address uh, these many issues. We're working hard to make sure that we take into account the effects of the pandemic, to make the best contingency arrangements we can, and to make sure exam results will be fair and command public confidence. Again, I want to reiterate, commending our school leaders uh, and teachers for their efforts. Unfortunately, we are continuing to face many challenges. Equally, I think we've seen innovation, we've seen opportunities right across our system. The integration of information technology in education has been rapidly accelerated by recent events. Our students have embraced the possibilities of IT in a exciting way. My partner will work with school leaders uh, in, uh, to consider the role of technology and support, education delivery uh, and qualifications delivery. The rapid spread has demonstrated the importance of building resilience uh, and also an opportunity to remind ourselves of the skills students need in an unprecedented world. Skills that are at the heart of non curriculum. Our aim must be to give our students the ability to work, uh, to think, learn, and to evolve no matter what challenges that await them uh, tomorrow and at least their potential to benefit the world. So thank you, Chair, and myself and my team will be happy
8: to take whatever questions you want.
0: Thank you, Minister. Uh, it's my understanding that you're available until 11 o'clock, so we all, members, <laughs> and uh, Minister and officials will have to be as concise as we possibly can with our, our, our questions. Can I echo um, your your thanks and recognition of all teaching and non-teaching staff across Northern Ireland for their dedication and innovation throughout this extremely difficult time and to thank uh, the Department um, and yourself for all the measures that you have endeavoured to put in place um, to support uh, teaching non-teaching staff and pupils. Um, with regard to education during this time. But there are uh, a number of issues that I do have profound concerns about that I want to raise with you today and that I do um, genuinely feel, if not uh, handled better, do do pose a a risk of of registering a a record from you of of delayed, disengaged and and morale-sapping decision-making. It's your opportunity to rebut that analysis today and we can do that constructively but to get to those issues the first one is is school closures Um, er, early cessation of school-based learning has been discussed since the summer Um, Diane Dawson Dawson, the principal of Branagh Primary School um, gave a a public call for an early cessation of school-based learning as long ago as November the 17th Um, and you're now at risk of being to the right of the Conservative Party, who today have announced school-based learning will cease on on, uh, Thursday the 17th of December. Can I I read you very quickly uh, a, a short piece of correspondence that I've received in this regard? Dear Chris, I'm a dedicated principal who works very hard to meet the needs of my pupils, their families, my staff. I do this with enthusiasm and love because I want to make a difference. I think I do this most of the time. We're underfunded, but I have a lot of heart that goes a long way. Last week, I tested positive for COVID-19. I, I'm sure I caught it at school because I don't get to go anywhere else. Today, I received a letter from the Education Minister telling me, telling me that I had to continue to do more, to keep operating on a face-to-face basis, unless the school boiler broke or someone died. I've been very ill. Hospitalization could still be a possibility. What if something happens to me or a member of staff or a pupil? I truly believe we can do better than this. No one wants closure, just a short period of remote learning for people who want that choice. Yeah. I speak with the wisdom of personal experience. No one wants COVID-19 for Christmas. Yes. Minister, why have you not planned some sort of short early cessation of school-based learning in that context? Thank you, uh, thank
7: you Chris, for, sorry, Sharon, for uh, a number of reasons. First of all, in terms of the comparison with England, what they are talking about is having one day in which there is an um, internal sort of workings within the school. They are effectively finishing the day early, but don't forget they didn't take, um, there wasn't that extra week at Halloween which we did take in relation to that. So, from that point of view, I suppose we are, what do you say we're in a different position to those. In terms of school closures, I suppose there are a number of issues. Um, on the issue of education, while there's a lot of good work is happening with remote learning, it is undoubtedly the case that face-to-face teaching is better for our pupils than remote learning. It, it just you simply cannot say remote learning by teacher will always be a level of, of second best. Secondly, I suppose, from the point of view of uh, many parents. Uh, from the perspective of why well, some parents will, will take their own individual choices and they will look to what is within their own individual family. the close school early would create enormous complications for tens of thousands of parents in society uh, who would have to either take time off work at a time when some of them for instance would simply be resuming from furlough or indeed depend um, on that uh, or indeed uh, would then have to have some form of emergency childcare but particularly in terms of the issue of the, the health issue,
2: there, there are risks within every um, situation. But whenever this issue, I think, uh, was
7: discussed, the analysis from the, the medical experts are that at best, any any form of school for the impact would be uncertain, and may even be counterproductive. Because you're taking uh, the road to Christmas, and this has been acknowledged by a number of, of, of health experts, including, I think the, the indication that schools continuing from I think, for example, publicly, Tom Black, who has not been the greatest supporter of the executive, who has always wanted the executive to go further, has said the right thing to do is for schools to be continuing on. That if you are putting into the community a third of a million children with the behavioural issues that are going to be there in the direct run up to Christmas, it is as likely that you are going to be increasing the argument through that to a greater extent than you would through through schools. So. I think it's a naive assumption to believe that simply sending children home um, when we've seen for example where there's been probably the biggest uh, particular outbreaks of Covid have actually been particularly involving children have been where there's been that widespread socialisation, it will be sending out a signal that, that this is effectively, uh, you know, a time simply to relax and let down the, the guard. Okay. I do think, from a health point of view, that would be kind of productive, so I, that that would be Okay, right. okay, there's, okay. Been no, I, there's, been, there's been no pressure. there no pressure from anybody on the health side, whatever their views on other occasions, for any early closure closure
0: of schools. Okay, I, I suspect other members will want to come in on that as well, and my time is is, is oh, short. Oh. But can I ask you what what is the 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 final day of school-based learning for schools across Northern Ireland?
7: Well schools have a level of flexibility in setting their, their own uh, timetable, So for instance, some schools may start the term a little bit later. Um, for most schools, it will be Friday the 18th of December. There will be a small number of schools which will, in terms of their timing, because they have a set number of days that they, uh, they have in mind, that will probably go into the Monday or Tuesday of the following week. So it's not absolutely uniform across the system.
0: And, and you think it's appropriate for teaching non-teaching staff pupils to be in schools, the week commencing Monday, the 21st of December.
7: I think as school has, has organised it, I mean, the, uh, you know, the reality is if there's a, an issue of self-isolation, that will kick in at a much earlier stage in, in that regard. But I think it's appropriate that the schools do their full complement of teaching. And those schools, for instance, that would be going, say the of the year, will actually be compensating in other parts of the year through through the day. It's important to think that, that all children as much as possible get the same amount of uh, tuition, get the same amount of, of schooling in that, on that basis. Okay. Um, 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 what's also what was also been said as a the seminar there uh, last week, I think it was before, when it the week before, we representing PHA. What they said is why there has been um, adult to spread and largely speaking at times there's been children there is very, very little evidence of any level of, of spread between children and teachers.
0: Okay. I, I, I find it astonishing that you haven't planned for some sort of short uh, cessation of school-based learning prior to Friday the 18th of December, but I, I need to move on. They need to move on the examinations quickly. Um, Minister, in your, your own data on the week commencing the 12th of October 2020, um, the percentage of pupils that were in school was 84.7%. My vulgar calculations suggest that there were, that means there were as many as 50,000 pupils not in school that week. An NHT survey of 89 primary schools in November found on average as many as 37% of P7 pupils uh, experiencing a COVID-19-related absence since the start of term. Um, and yet, um, considerable level of uncertainty remains regarding Post primary transfer, GCSE and A-level end-of-year examinations in 2021. Other jurisdictions of the UK have made decisions in respect of either cancelling examinations or providing examination guidance for school. You have indicated repeatedly that SEA is working on contingency options and that details would be shared shortly. Can you now end the confusion <coughs> paid to speculation in schools and tell the committee what your contingency plans are for examinations? In
7: 2021. No, I, I, I've said first of all that the exams will go ahead. I've already, I some of the contingencies were actually well ahead of, of other bits, which have been uh, referenced in terms of GCSE. And the, the level of, of assessment production on GCSE, for example, go well beyond what is there um, in England. And the, I think in other jurisdictions they're still intending to cover uh, a way of assessment the entire curriculum, which I think is probably unrealistic. I've indicated that we are final
2: stages, and I hope we're in a position to be able to announce that next week. Now, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not,
7: I'm not going to jump the gun. If we have got uh, a range of final considerations to be taken into account, if we're in a position that that can be uh, finalised by early next week, I will make a statement directly to the assembly on that. So the aim must be to try to get this out. Uh, before Christmas and then have it out next next week. I think we're on track to do that. But I think the other case of that is to everything in place uh, that can be in place before
0: that announcement uh, is made, but we're not quite there yet. Okay. Do contingency options that SIA is considered include the use of uh, moderated centre assessments? Well
7: the from that point of view, look, that, that would not be a route down which uh, but we you know There's not a good point to be saying I'm going to give the full announcement hopefully next week and then start to try to unpick elements of what's on the table and what's being discussed
0: at this stage. Okay, you accept there is an urgency and indeed I would contend that your your current position is becoming increasingly untenable in relation to this particular issue? Yeah, there is an importance in relation to
7: that and that may, I suppose, give um, one indication. I think one of the things
8: that is fairly clear, throughout may at least have some level of reassurance. People have been talking
7: about a level of parity. It is clear that whatever contingencies, whatever adaptations are put in place, that we need to ensure that the examination boards across the UK operate on a very similar basis. And consequently, I know that part of the announcement that was made in England. They've indicated from the point of view of boards that the grading, and if you like, the, the The level at which things are being pitched in terms of grading will be the 2020 standards to make sure, therefore, that students this year are not disadvantaged compared to students last year. That will be something that will apply across the UK, will involve CCDA as well, to ensure that they are on a similar basis. And that will also mean that there's an equality between students in Northern Ireland, because as the committee knows, with roughly about 20% of our Uh, Pay level trips to governments, smaller percentage of the GCSE, are run by boards outside of of Northern
0: Ireland. All those will be based on that more generous situation at the 2020 level rather than a 2019 level or 2018 level. Okay. Can I bring in Deputy Chairperson Karen
5: Mullen, MLA? Thank you. Thank you, Chair, and thank you, Minister, for that update and for everybody attending this morning. I suppose I just want to start off by... um, Welcoming and congratulating Brian Mulholland in his new role as chair of the Education Authority, and also wishing Sharon O'Connor all the best, the outgoing chair. When I want to pick up Minister from where the chair has uh, a number of topics that the chair has covered, and like yourself, I totally agree with you that face-to-face learning is the best uh, option for children and young people. But throughout this pandemic, we have seen that we needed to put contingencies in place and options and uh, I think on this occasion it wasn't about blanket closing of schools but it was allowing our school leaders to uh, come forward with options and for you to engage and consult with them because some schools have already done this and it's going to cause inconsistency across uh, our school estates. On that point, just picking up from what the Chair said around the closing date, I I have been informed, um, some concerns have come forward to me, Minister, that the PHA advice line and EA advice line is to close on the 23rd of December. So if cases are picked up that week and over particularly Christmas Day and those days, who does principals contact in relation to tracking and tracing to support them through that process? Oh, Karen, I wasn't aware of the situation as regards that. In terms of paycheck, but we'll take that up with colleagues and get a,
2: a detailed answer. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> I think there would need to be something put in place that would be an emergency situation. Generally speaking, as
7: regards to, whereas I mean, that's a dedicated line specifically for schools. What we're we'll assume in terms of the issue of tracking, tracing, and indeed where people can get tests, but there would need to be some level of emergency cover that would be there over the Christmas, uh, over the Christmas day. I think. It is always likely, that over Christmas, that any public health uh, group will, will operate on a little bit more of a, of a sort of post-skeleton staff, but uh, we will preserve that, that issue, and I'm sure that there will be a level of fallback the general PHA line will be available.
5: I'd be grateful if you would do that and put that level of support, well, yeah. and, and speak to the unions and get that information out to both the unions and the school leaders in relation to what uh, support they would need over that period um, of closure, because um, I'm sure that they will be involved in tracking and tracing. Minister, on the uh, examinations, again following on, you may have heard this morning in the, new, the news that St Cecilia's and Lisneal in my constituency mm-hmm. have cance- cancelled some modules in maths mm-hmm. and English GCSE in January. Myself, um, uh, Daniel and the chair met with students from St Cecilia's a number of weeks back and the reality for ourselves, I think, came across at that meeting of what students is going through. Um, So, I'm just going to follow on from the chair, but Minister, I have a conflict of interest here so I'm going to outline it. My daughter, Niamh Lamberton, she's in year 12. She has had full attendance, and I think I told you this before. But since has returned to school, she has had seven weeks off, uh, two periods of self-isolation. On her first day of returning last week, after four weeks of being off, she had her Christmas exams um, after being off for that period. So uh, she she's obviously missed out in four months last year, and now she's missed out in seven weeks. She's trying to catch up on the work um, uh, that they were for last year and we see now that since Cecilia Les Neil has come out with this decision today which I suppose as a parent I, I probably would welcome it. Minister all along and up until now I have told her that yourself, Sia, your department and us are working very hard to provide clarity and support and that would be with them long before Christmas. It's disappointing to hear from yourself today and yesterday that we will have to wait, and you hope to bring out. Um, or more clarity on what that is next week. I would just ask you, I met with Say a number of weeks ago, they outlined um, to myself some of uh, the options that may be there, why it has taken so long, and could you please outline to me today and for Neve and her fellow students what mitigations is going to be in place to support her uh, who is facing her... GCSE exams in January when she goes back.
7: uh, Karen, we'll be in a position that that we'll be outlining a bit of stuff uh, next week. You asked why there's been a length of time. I I also think, to be honest, as regards looking at the curriculum, I don't think it's a helpful thing that the schools are going on a solo run as regards to the the curriculum because when it comes to whatever tests are going to be there, it can be mitigations and adaptations allocations that they in faced. But it's not as if there would be a different GCSE for some schools to others, and that potentially could lead schools to
2: take uh, their own action at a disadvantage for their pupils. So I uh, would
7: vote against against that. In, in terms of um, sorry, slightly lost
9: track of thought there. Um, uh, mitigations obviously would need to take account of both the system-wide situation and
7: also uh, where there would need to be a level of individual circumstances. Why is this taking so long? Because first of all, we want to try and make sure it's got right. So it's not just the engagement of the CCA, but there have been ongoing meetings we've had with uh, stakeholder principals. We have uh, also based on work that will be uh, happening directly with pupils on that basis. But also we need to make sure um, that, that also any, and as you're aware, there are a range of options. We've got to make sure that, that not only is the best option, therefore one that is fit for purpose, but also that we ensure that we get buy-in from uh, qualifications across the UK, but also that, that we don't, I mean, I think one thing we've got to avoid is a scenario that we plug for a particular option, but for instance, the universities take a view of this is not acceptable, or alternatively we regard our pupils on a different level to everyone else. So there are a range of connections uh, and discussions that have to take place and have taken taking in place in that, in that regard. And I suppose to some extent there is also maybe a certain level of restriction uh, because, as a very small jurisdiction, um, we always think of ourselves as very special people, in many ways we are, but uh, we cannot be in the same position as a national government, either in London or in Dublin, we largely speaking, set precisely their own agenda, really without having a bit of a about what's happening elsewhere. So I think it is important that we give that level of certainty to people and that happens very quickly. but I think we're on track to do
9: that.
5: Minister, just say the longer you leave this and the next week, the last time that schools and pupils have together, to be able to prepare for two weeks again of being off at school, at home, trying to study. And as I said, you know, conflict of interest. I had a daughter who was sitting at a kitchen table crying. I don't want to see that over the Christmas period. And she's someone who needs to be in school. She's dyslexic. She needs the support. Um, so she can't be left, and, 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 and we heard that from many students. I would ask you again, I know you said you've engaged, I've asked you to meet with the secondary school union uh, students. I would ask you to do that, um, possibly over the next week as well, in relation to it. Sorry, Mr. Sorry Minister, just to,
0: just, just, to pause, just to pause you briefly. Sorry, I need you to bring these remarks yep. to a close Go ahead, Minister. And Go ahead.
7: No, sorry, uh, there the, the will be some additional meetings
5: with the students today, actually, in, in connection with that, but I've left that at a, a, a level with my officials to, to deal with that. Oh. Just a final one, a quick one, hopefully. Minister, it's a priority, obviously, to keep schools open. Um, uh, can you tell us of any discussions that you have had to add school staff to the priority list for vaccinations? <clears throat> yeah, I would be, be very much in
7: favour of that, I'll be making those representations to help. The one restriction uh, we have in connection with that in terms of where the priorities is, and I think there's good sense in making um, and pushing particularly school staff um, of the agenda. The position is that that is actually determined by um, which all four UK nations are involved in. um, A UK wide team from the health end who decide that. So the freedom of manoeuvre that is there directly from Northern Ireland. Present is, is pretty limited, and if at all, in that, in that regard. So, they will agree priorities, and it seems at the moment that principal priorities are largely focused in on, um, particularly on, on an age basis rather than a profession basis. But, no, I, I've already indicated that, that uh, I would be contacting through the Minister of Health and asking him to raise the, the issue in terms of prioritisation for. Uh,
0: for school staff, but it's, it's a decision that out with the thing, Northern Ireland all. OK, thank you, Minister. Thank Thanks, you. Karen.
4: Robin Newton? Thank you, and I thank the Minister and his staff uh, for, for again uh, being with us. Uh, minister, I think it might be appropriate that we uh, mention the, the recent figures of the our primary school pupils and their achievement in the maths field. So can I extend certainly my congratulations to you the Department Education, Authority, uh, and indeed right down into our, our teaching staff, uh, principals, uh, and, and support staff, because I think those figures have uh, been uh, given quite quite a fill up to our pupils, and, and quite kudos to, to our pupils across Northern Ireland. It's right that they be recognised. Can I, Minister, can I refer to a letter that you've sent through from the Department? Um, dated the 3rd of December on the update on the Child Care Sustainability Support Fund. Um, it indicated in the uh, outlines the, the amount of money that's been allocated. But the final paragraph uh, is headed up further funding and uh, you've indicated that uh, Your officials are currently working on a further funding scheme which will address temporary closures. And that would be during the period September to December and that you will be announcing that uh, in in due course. Minister, on such an important issue, could you perhaps give us uh, some update on your thinking in the Child Care Sustainability Fund?
7: Uh, Robin, in, in relation to that, as you say, there's, there's two strands to this. One is the, the broad sustainability side of it, uh, and through the COVID funding, we successfully did, um, for, uh, for funding, I think 8.5 million of that was towards the sustainability ongoing recovery, because I think one of the issues that everybody realises as well, um, and very understandably, is that a lot of the childcare facilities are operating under a much more constrained, because of some of the health requirements, and that would be additional costs. So, consequently, there's 8.5 million there. There's been on the closure side, um, we had also bid successfully for 2.8 million, and that of I suppose, of, um, from the previous recovery fund, there was about 800,000 uh, left over. So that's the package of 3.6 million. Um, the aim, I suppose, in terms of the uh, on the sort of closure, temporary closure scheme, is we, we will be aware that, that a number of, well, um, perhaps if you like, that COVID may at times be less prevalent directly amongst the very young. There will be times a number of uh, childcare settings, and also with provision uh, for childbinders uh, as part of that as well. Um, so the, the idea within that uh, would be that there would be allocations. So, if, for example, pays for on a weekly or fortnightly basis, and they
2: to be closed and result with that because of, for instance, close contacts, the uh,
7: an outbreak or whatever. There will be funding available. That will wrap it up, largely speaking. I think with a, uh, off the top of it, I think on the closure side for um, child care facilities, it will be ultimately a, a cap, but it would go up on the basis of um, with an initial amount, but the provision according it will go up in. Uh, basis of about 500 pounds for each batch of, uh, as you add on eight get, uh, pupils, so and I think it throws up I think, ultimately to I think a cap of around like 10,000 pounds be the maximum uh, in in connection uh, with that. The very large ones. We want to make sure that uh, that there's sort of a reasonable level of and, of doing that. I think uh, that will cover all the uh, all the things that are not covered elsewhere. So I know that, for instance, there will be some. That would it's a direct funding
8: through health for a particular, uh, for instance, say you know a particular childcare facility or whatever. Um, so it would cover the, like the mainstream So the two funds are to cover both general
4: sustainability, but also then those for specifically with Okay, thank you, Chair. Can I ask uh, just uh, perhaps push you a little bit further? Uh, you in response to the deputy chair, in terms of the. Um, Vaccine uh, and the vaccination rollout programme. Yes. Uh, and uh, perhaps if you'd outline to us what you might be seeking to achieve there. I uh, Can I also make the point that it is not just the staff who are directly in contact with the pupils on a day, teaching staff, but indeed the other support staff and indeed those who are in and out of a school that uh, may need to, to 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 be included if you felt that um, you, you could achieve a designated key worker status for, for those folk?
7: Yeah, I mean, at the moment, as far as I'm aware, and lies within, within health, the UK-wide position, I think, is not particularly focusing on key workers, but to try um, to... Uh, <coughs> It's like the batches that will be available are largely speaking on on the grounds of of age. Now I think certainly while it would be difficult for any of us to make an argument that uh, for example in the 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 that would be in with the over 80s for instance, that uh, people within a broader school environment of whatever age would take priority over those. I think I think it would be very useful if there was a level of prioritisation for uh, for those those key workers. The way this is likely to go like in terms of the vaccine um, is that the UK as a whole will get a share of, we'll get certain batches of vaccine and the idea is essentially to use those up in their entirely uh, throughout that. But I think there's a good argument that in terms of those who are the staff within the school and it's also important that those who have particular medical vulnerabilities who, are, who may still be very young will be included within uh, periods now. I suppose the point that they're making as regards that is I will be arguing the case for that. I suppose the one restriction is I have to argue the case directly with the Department of Health, uh, and they will act effectively as a level of proxy in the UK wide But it's not, to be fair, because I don't want anybody then to be criticizing the Department of Health. It is not their decision internally to be able to say what the order prioritization of the vaccine is. There's a UK wide group which is trying to ensure that the rollout of the vaccine is done as uniformly as possible throughout the uh,
0: throughout the UK. So even if Northern Ireland, for instance, maybe Ireland saying such and such should be the case, uh, whether it would be a question of trying to explain try everybody else towards that uh, position. Okay, Robin, that's time, okay? Okay, Okay. Thank, thanks very much, Robin. Thank you, Minister. Uh, Daniel McCrossin? Uh Thank you, Chair, and
3: uh, thank you, Minister, for being with us today and to your officials. Uh, As you'll realise, there are very serious issues and challenges facing our schools, our teachers and our young people. Uh, And I uh, am extremely concerned, not just as a member of this committee, but as an MLA for West Tyrone. I am seeing the huge impact of decisions or uh, indecision uh, from you and your department and the impact it is having on schools and young people across Uh, all the constituencies in Northern Ireland. I have to say, Minister, it is good to hear you say uh, thank you to teachers and to our young people, but those are words and to many are meaningless given that you have continually ignored those same people and continue to, particularly after what happened in the summer in relation to examinations. Many have said they feel like you're standing in the wilderness with your hands over your ears, refusing to listen to anybody and I would think you would struggle to find many who would agree with you in relation to your agenda around examinations uh, uh, presently. There are huge issues. The Children and Young People's Commissioner has spoken out against your agenda, as has the Mental Health Champion, as have all of the teachers and principals and young people that I have spoken to. Your inaction and indecision is having a hugely detrimental impact on the wellbeing of our young people and your ignorance around the reality of COVID and how it has impacted on our children's education is absolutely unjustifiable and unforgivable. And this go compare nonsense, Minister, that continues to come from your mouth in the Chamber and in statements is entirely unhelpful because we cannot compare to Scotland or Wales or England, which you continue to do. Scotland and Wales have moved. Wales, not an ideal situation, but they have moved. Scotland has moved significantly and they have a very positive position. England is an entirely different situation to ours. Why? Because they have had a considerable uh, difference in how they are educated, particularly given the mitigations that are in place to protect young people and particularly given that the course has been uh, taught a year earlier in some instances. So what you are doing is entirely without precedent. Uh, and also, Minister, in the current situation, you're going to leave a lot of people very badly let down. I fear, Minister, for these young people, and I fear, unfortunately, that you have not learned the lessons of the summer, which is a very unforgivable situation given the impact it has had on our young people and our children. And I'll go further than that, Minister. You use words around fair. There is nothing fair about this agenda. I understand that this situation is not straightforward. I understand you have not got a blueprint or a rule book. But I would like to believe that you have learned something from what happened in the summer. Uh, And I've also spoken to uh, SIA as well as the Deputy Chair has related. And I can tell you the attitude in SIA is much different than the one prior to the crisis in the summer that emerged uh, from uh, the actions that you have taken. Minister, I've said to you yesterday in the Chamber and I say it again. You're in the bad books of a lot of teachers and a lot of young people and students across Northern Ireland. But I am making a plea to you. I'm making a plea to you to recognise the reality we are in, and our young people are in, and to cancel GCSE and A-level examinations this year. Do not talk to us about England, and do not talk to us about what Wales aren't doing or uh, 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 or anything else. I want to hear about what actions and what decisions you're taking to protect our young people. And that moves me to a few questions, Minister.
0: You're on half do, your time, Do you not accept? Do you not
3: accept? that the real catalyst for the stress levels has been your indecision, Minister, around how assessments operate? And secondly, Minister, is it not the case that the ministers in other jurisdictions have made decisions in respect of either abolishing exams or putting a fresh raft of mitigations in place to relieve the pressure on their young people while you have sat on the fence? Don't you think, Minister, that you should now apologise, meaningfully and absolutely, to our young people and to our teachers for scapegoating them and for dithering on a very serious issue in relation to the futures of our young people. Why are they left dangling? Because you're ultimately going to have to make a decision in the end, particularly in January.
7: Well, thank you for that. Uh, I detected at the end even a couple of questions at the, the end of that, as opposed to just a certain level of that um, I came before it. Let, let, let me make it clear, there's not a lack of decision. We want to try to make sure that Minister, just
3: just just, just just to echo something, Minister, what I have said to you is a reflection of all of the various correspondence I've received from teachers. So I will gladly respond to them and say that you have described such as diatribe, which would not go down oh, well and that's the issue.
7: Daniel, 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 put not put into my mouth. Describe the way that people think <laughs> in this sort of uh, so, for like, like, way that you put that forward? So that Minister, like
0: that? Minister and, and Daniel, Minister, pause, pause for a second for me, please. Please, let me, I'm, I'm chairing this meeting, let me intervene momentarily, okay? All right, I don't think, I don't think, tribe is appropriate. However I, however, however, I will also add, Daniel, you're almost out of time for your questioning here, so if I can bring you back, both back to A concise response, okay, Minister, and sorry, because we're almost sorry. out of time for trying, Daniel. Thank you, Minister.
7: Trying in, we're trying to take into account all information. That also <clears> includes <throat> uh, the work that's being done by the Lloyds in terms of the 2020 situation. It's important that that is, that is taken into account whenever final whenever decisions are reached. What you described as a decision, I'm absolutely clear that examinations are, are taking place now. What I think. Uh, and we want to make sure that the adaptations are the correct ones, which takes a little bit of time to do that. He said it's, it's wrong to compare, for instance, with England, but particularly think as we go to our A-level situation, England represents um, over 80% of the, of the market in terms of students. Those are the people directly that people are competing against uh, for university cases. And we also have a situation that uh, English which was under control of the Westminster government, that will be done by, roughly speaking, about 20% of our pupils. So this, this idea that simply we can be in some uh, hermetically seen bubble in Northern Ireland as regards to examinations is not correct. We are listening to people we are working closely with uh, the, the <laughs> panel that we have of, uh, of principals from across a wide range of schools, uh, both grammar, non-grammar, um, a range of, of the different sectors <coughs> in that regard, so, you know, it is also about listening to what they are saying. We will be coming to a common position with SEA and we will make sure that, that everything is done to protect uh, our people. So don't distinguish uh, or to misinterpret that uh, simply because you're not getting the decision you want, that that is regardless of some form of delivery. What we're trying to do is to make sure that uh, all the information is taken into account. So you're going have to
0: proper adaptations and mitigations as we move uh, ahead. a very brief point. Yeah, Dan, your time is almost it's, up. It's, it's you have it's a, very a very brief, brief point. supplementary.
3: Minister, thank you for your answer. But uh, if you look at the situation around A-level, Scotland and Wales have already moved and they haven't consulted with us in relation to whether our universities will accept their students. So why are you continuing to use this as an excuse well, to prevent the decision being Scotland, reached in the interest of our Scotland young people? Is
7: large, Scotland is the largest student of the over situation. Uh, they've always had a very different set of, of exams. Wales, let's face it, Wales are actually backtracking, is Wales are doing examinations by a different name, but they're still examination. That's not just my view, but for example, the NHP in Wales have said these are examinations. Because what is part of, is part of their rules? look like? Well, when well, we compete through a level of uncertainty as regards Wales, Wales are doing external assessments, externally set and externally marked. Now presumably if those are going to be done on a fair basis to every every student, those would have to be done on the same basis for every student, which means examination conditions. So if you're doing an external exam an external assessment externally set, externally marked in exam conditions, how is that not an examination? You can call it something else, but it's still an exam situation. It is not very few, it, it is focused on that regard. So let's not let's okay. not wheel so to some example like of okay, examining exam it,
0: they are exams. Okay. I mean, However, Wales have also appointed an independent panel to ensure uh, engagement with the sector as well. And of course, Scotland has gone further and, and yep. cancelled um, nationals and hires. I need to move us on, Minister. Um, can I bring in Robbie Butler, MLA, please? Thank you, Minister. Robbie. Um, Chair, um, go ahead, can please,
8: Robbie. Can just clarify that
0: you can see and hear you, light See and hear you loud and clear. Here you go. I, 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 I the, I chair, Go ahead. Thank
8: you, thank you, thank you, Minister. Thank you, Chair. Um, Minister, um, just uh, my my question follow on from uh, most of most of what already covered, but uh, I think there's some clarity, hopefully, that you can maybe give today. Because uh, I would agree with you you have made statements on examinations and and the date school closures, but what has been missing is your rationale for doing so. For, for instance, if we look at um, the street closures and the call for street closures, and I understand that, except that it's, it's, not, uh, it's not simple because there are impacts on uh, different pupils, vulnerable pupils, for instance, those with SEM uh, and, and medical conditions, for instance, that need to be taken into consideration. But what has been lacking is your rationale for that. And I know that today at the start of your briefing, you hinted at the Department of Health or health not late, not maybe contributing or maybe not coming to you with um. Uh, I'm asking. That, I don't believe it is. There's you as minister for education. Um. Would it not be fair to suggest that what actually has been missing is the detail as to why you're coming to these decisions? For instance, taking the first
7: one, which is the closure or the non-closure of schools at the end of this week. No, but we, we try to make information as uh, clear as possible. And I you're right in terms of where. Decision doesn't lie in that sense to the Department of Health, but where they will make an assessment at times of, as they have done in part of the broader of regulations, of here's our impact on a particular sector, whether that open or closed on that basis. I think they have fairly consistently given an indication, uh, while saying that other factors will outweigh this, of what the, the impact of schools being open on the RRA, for instance, will be. The position I'm, I'm perfectly. I don't want anyone to want to breach too much of what's been said directly within the, the executive, but the approach that has been taken certainly as regards to this. I think it would be fair to say that the 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 principal people have said the impact of closing early would best be uncertain and may be counterproductive because the issue is it's not simply what happens with the school. It's what the behavioural aspect would replace that, and what we have seen, for example. Um, if take the situation where the, the biggest single outbreak that we had, which was in uh, Craig Avon, for example, was fuelled by socialisation which took place towards the end of the, the Halloween break. It was what was happening outside school. And there is a real concern, and I've had this from quite a number of, of principals as, as well, that particularly in the post primary sector, that if you simply close the, the first of all, the, the issue about what level of engagement will be necessary for remote learning. In the, effectively, what will be the week before Christmas maybe be somewhat limited,
2: but actually, there is a real concern uh, that particularly teenagers
7: will, in many ways, see this as an extra element of a longer period of and that the behavioral aspects will actually drive up more. much greater than would happen within schools. We also left to the prospect that in terms of younger children, they may well spend a good deal of that week simply being taken by their parents during various shopping centres. Okay, so it's, okay. it is that, there is that calcite, as well as the educational, as well
0: as the impact on, on parents as, as well. Okay. Which is why I have a lot of correspondence also as well. People saying, please you don't close the schools, early. Okay. Robbie, yeah. Robbie, Robbie, do you grace me the very, very quick comment here? Uh, I'll, be, know, I'll factor it in. Minister, I don't think this is just about the R rate. It's about, it's about giving teaching, non-teaching staff children a Christmas with loved ones after a brutally difficult pandemic. I'll leave that. I don't want to use Robbie's time. Robbie, you want to come okay. back in there? Sorry, Minister. You're, you're, you're some having some fair some time, country. Minister. But I need to let Robbie come, come, come back
7: just, in. You can't just throw oh, it.
0: it. Okay, be, it. be brief then. Be brief. Go ahead. Go ahead.
7: Okay, brief. The reason why the are is really so important is because if people are actually getting in a position where they are catching the virus through different different names or exposing themselves way of those contacts with people, that will also impact on families and prevent people... The, uh, being able to spend Christmas time with the, the loved ones. So if everybody, for instance, was going out soon and simply remaining in their home for that period of time, not going out, operating in an effectively a form of bubble flow, that that may be a different situation for health point of view. But Rob, that is not the way the other aspects will, will happen.
0: Robbie, Robby,
8: Thank you Chair um, uh, thank you Mr. And to be fair, um, the intersection picture and your, your response master really does get to the root of, of my position and my point and it is um, you, you've studied those things today, and um, us. Probably this discussion has been raging for certainly more than a week now. Um, and I think people in, in Northern Ireland, whether they're students, teachers or, or parents, have the capacity to understand information when it's given to them. And if you can back up your position with fact or statement, or the fact that you've asked the Department of Health for that information, that is probably <laughs> forgivable. But what, what, what is difficult to understand is when there's just a statement which says, the, the schools would remain open.
7: People can factor that in if, if there was a, a scientific and medical reason for that. No, I have think what, what, has been, what has been said, roughly, by the medical people is the impact of this, if you were to close early, would be uncertain. That there is not, you know, whereas there may be other parts of the year which if you purely did it from a health point of view, everybody remaining at home with some clear reduction, you know, albeit it may be outweighed by other factors on the area, they're saying the behavioural aspects and the Christmas are uncertain, and maybe uh, at the best case scenario may have a marginal benefit, and the worst case scenario may be clearly counterproductive. in that, in that regard, that is what's being said. Not a question of the like of us. Like we see, and I the that sometimes the, the direct conversations would take place during during the executive. I think that would be inappropriate in that regard. But that is that is the sense of where things are, are coming from um, within that. And if, uh, uh, Believe if there was even if a different view across the executive order was taken, if the Department of Health took a view that the right thing to do was to take a particular course of action, they would not be sure of at least making that recommendation and making sure that that is, their, that is their position. Okay, um, but I still think that um, you know, in terms of what these fundamental um, questions are
8: raised. The the rationale behind it is really important. Uh, views the Minister to deliver. Some of it's there today, but it has been missing up to this point. I gives some sort of clarity, even if it doesn't answer some people um, require. I'll just move on very briefly then uh, to um, the examinations for next year, if that's okay. I'm okay. going to over absolutely the ground that has been covered so far. I'm going to concentrate perhaps on. Um, what what may be the case, uh, you, you you stood up a couple of times in the chamber of that and, and obviously I've heard you say something which I've actually really disagreed with Which would you pitch to that as you said the, the options are either doing the exams as normal, which is the first way, or ongoing tests and assessment on a monthly basis and it's unfair to subject pupils to, that. I would agree if that was a binary option, but do you mind though that this is not a binary option, that there are multiple uh, options on the table, one of those options is used use of moderated sector assessments. They can be able to take a under examination screws under exaministic and each of the so they express their ability to do that, um, and they could be moderated by CCEA. Um, could you update us on uh, any talks that have been ongoing with regard to that as a contingency, or as an option? Uh, moderate, first of all, a uh,
7: assess, moderated sector assessments will still require a large number of tests, because a school will not want to have challenges, will not want to the physical possibility even of
2: a parent taking a legal challenge against the school. That, I think, of the impacts of that. would mean that schools
7: would be constantly testing people's... You know, it, it, you can't get away from that. But you mentioned moderate uh, assessment grade, which are done under examination conditions. So if you putting your child under an examination condition in which they do an assessment,
8: how is that not an examination? I'm not saying no, t- 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 suggesting that it's a 10 a- 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 option, given the fact that the source of yeah. classroom time has become a 10 not You've fixed it, Minister, as if there's a variety of options between constant assessment or examinations at the end, but actually, can, what we've been asking for is contingencies, the example of possibilities. More than suggesting is that there is no option for
7: yeah, No, no, probably. I, I, from that point
2: of view, with what's
7: been developed through SEER, is a wide range of, of I okay, feel like all options will be there. I think we're narrowing down in terms of where uh, the likely result will be. I think the point on that bit is that uh, because examinations in of themselves test the individual and are not subject to any form of subject, I think, I think there are a number of flaws in terms of the centre-assess side of things First of all, I think you can't get away that if centre-assessive schools are to feel confident in what they are predicting, that that will lead to an increased level of testing. If, as I said, this is, is testing on the under-examination conditions, it, it does strike
2: me you then end up with the worst of, of all worlds uh, within that, and you end up with a situation which is less robust and less fair, uh, and
7: also while creating the stress of examinations as well. So, you know, I, I think you end up with, with the worst of with all of those, uh, that, that cocktail of, of combination of, but also, from the point of view of moderation, how is somebody from, uh, I mean, if somebody won't be the people with the level of qualifications to be able to to do a moderation of each individual centre-assessed grade, who will be the, the people that, that are going to do that? You're talking about tens of thousands of children doing this. You're talking about then assessing whether, for instance, because it would apply some form of, of presumably bank order as well on that basis whether some people are doing it more leniently and those, and I think that's just the nature of human nature on I don't see it in a particularly robust way and a fair way in which you could have that moderation. But again, you know, whereas it's one of a wide range of options that are there on the table, it's not one which I think is particularly valuable because I think it is a danger that actually creates the worst of all worlds in every
8: sphere in that regard. Okay, Robert. I, disagree with you. I disagree with you on that point, but that's, that's
2: probably where it will be. I think one of the things that mm-hmm. you're probably running into difficulties
8: with is um, and you're right, mean, about running out of food will, because you look at how the um, assessors and moderators were treated uh, with regard to those that had many years provided to the, the marking and the moderation of papers, and they were disrespected at the end of the process last time, they're not going to be there next year. That's
0: Robbie. I'm gonna to have to have to, stop. Have to stop. Robbie, sorry, I'm gonna have to stop there. We're we're well over time. Okay, if, if time at the end, I'll bring you back in. Okay, uh, is sorry, William Humphrey? Say. Is William William Humphrey there? I know there's some issue with IT. William. Nope. But okay, I'll come back to William then. Nicola, Nicola Brogan, MLA. Eh? Uh,
10: thank you, Chair, and again I thank the Minister for coming in and providing that update today. Um first of all I'd like to say thanks for um, mentioning the fact that the teachers like you've welcome the fact that teachers have worked so hard to get the schools reopened in August. And I certainly echo that. And just on the point of vaccinations, because of that, we know that they are by being in the schools um are putting their own health at risk and the health of the families at risk. So I would urge you you to ask um, the Department of Health, wherever it is, to um, make our teachers and school workers a priority when it comes to the vaccination. Um, In regards to exams, you've been over GCSE and AS and A-level exams, but um, we've been engaging with BTEC students um, who have some serious concerns in relation to their workload and coursework. Um, could you briefly comment on what the direction of travel is for supporting these students in terms of adjustments or alternative arrangements, please?
7: Sorry, I had the last bit, it just faded a little bit
10: there. Yeah. so can you comment on the direction of travel and supporting BTEC students um, in terms of adjustments or alternative arrangements?
7: Yes. speaking, first of all, in terms of the issue on the vaccine side of it, Yes I will do, I mean the point is because I don't want to be um, anybody's thing in any way putting any level of, of criticism of this and um, doesn't, this is except for the Department of Health. I, I would make the argument for the Department of Health, to be fair to the Department of Health or indeed the, the executive, it's not within their gift to particularly um, be able to deliver on that because it will be taken on a wider context outside of Northern Ireland in that regard. So, I'll pass over to Carol.
9: What is in relation to that? Yeah, I can ask a question that, um, and I'll come back to you in more detail, but um so called, the qualifications fit within the Department for the Economy, but obviously these are delivered within schools. Yep. Um, and the SEA regulation you know, has been working with the other uh, regulators on further flexibilities around adaptations in those vocational qualifications. And there was an announcement by Off Call on the 3rd of December that um, confirmed further changes to the um, vocational and technical qualifications that will allow awarding bodies to reduce the number of units assessed and um, implement further flexibility so around, as I say, um, the assessment, the awarding, and, um, and other general qualifications. So, yeah, that has been taken forward as far as I'm aware.
10: Okay, thank you for that update. Um, finally, Minister, can I just ask you about the Child Care Support Fund? Um, there were complaints that the previous fund was too complex and slow to allocate. Um, what reassurances can you give the child care sector that a more efficient and timely allocation well, of funding is now in place? I, I think, I, I, I think
7: to, be, to be fair, Nicola, uh, there's been effectively three sets, this is the two sets of child care uh, funds. The, the first,
2: uh, which
7: uh, was run by BSO. Yes, I think there was a lot of criticism and there was actually a small percentage. of people talking that they then, uh, sort of progress particularly in time. I think, to be fair, because the, the more recent one was run in terms of by the early years organisation, it ended up with, I think, um, because you, you always say over pitch uh, to sort of give enough money within, uh, within that. I think in terms of that particular scheme, um, I think that more than 90% of of the money that was, um, that was put in much was then able to be directly claimed on that basis and I said, the law was overestimated. So I think there was a much more rapid movement and a much more efficient system and indeed I think some of the lessons that were there from the first set um, which created problems which was I think also overly bureaucratic and indeed I think
2: whenever those attempts to help and support PSO, there wasn't a good deal of interest um, in that. Earlier's organisations uh, did a much um, much more efficient job of being able to d- deliver
7: that funding, so therefore I, I think we'd be confident that there would be uh, delivery on, um, on that as well. I think the fact that, that the amounts uh, in terms of the process that are relatively straightforward, it's not a overly complex process. I mean I think there's confidence that that money will be will be got out.
10: Um, well hopefully that is the case, um, can I just finally ask, the last announcement there I think was for, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was for September this year to December, but the applications opened on last Friday the 4th of December, when should um, the applicants expect to receive payments? Well I think since I don't, don't
7: know exactly, exactly but well, um, from that point of view we'll, we'll be happy to provide further information to the,
10: the just in relation to, the timings issues around that. No problem, thank you for that. That was,
7: and out, obviously, as regards So it uh, was one of the reasons why it's a bit, a bit later is that we
10: got uh, money through, whenever there was, I think, in, I think in November, there was a range of additional COVID
7: allocations were, were put in place by the executive and agreed, uh, and obviously we bid for that for some time, but it's only at that point where we, like, yeah, was it? 20, sorry, i say 29th of October, I think, was, was, was where
10: It was agreed with the executive to allocate on that basis, so the process
0: has been going on from that point on. Okay, thank you, Minister. Thanks, Chair. Thanks, Nicola. Uh, Can I bring in Justin McNulty and just advise William Humphrey if if his internet is working to try and... um, uh, to get that message to myself or the clerk to bring him back in. Uh, Justin McNulty?
6: Justin? Yes, thank you Chair and um, thanks. Thank you Minister, thank you Ricky, Gary, Jane and Karen. Um, just one second, uh, what others to say what the Minister said in terms of what teachers and what principals and what school staff are doing and helping through the staff's number of months and the lengths to which they've gone to to try and uh, ensure that children's education is disrupted as, as minimally as possible and as often that um, and many of us themselves and others of to be very, very much committed and we to really recognize the work that our school teachers are doing. Minister, um, in terms of the when principals will eventually get a
2: break um, for Christmas, but how, how will they get a break for Christmas
6: when schools will remain open often until the 22nd of December They've worked tirelessly to keep the schools, get the schools back open in, in, in
2: August. Uh, they are contract tracing, contact tracing over Halloween. How
6: then do you expect them to be on call for five days after the schools closes? Um, for anything, um, the school doesn't close until the 22nd, as I said, and name with the holidays, which takes us to the 27th of December. You expect them to be a 68-page document on the holidays, uh, which with, with revised uh, COVID nineteen restart up, you know, the revised COVID nineteen restart document response to a lot of the special Education Needs Consultation consult, consultation there, which does finish in 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 January closes in January that that closes in January and then implementing the legislation alongside implementing the you long know, contact tracing time budgets engage money and where do money when and when get
7: it from that point of view, look, I mean, first of all, I was to say, in terms of the uh, second consultation, it was ex- being extended to allow people just that bit of extra time in that regard. Um, on that basis, I think extending sort of a consultation is never particularly a bad thing, provided uh, we get that, that right. Look, I think there's a lot of uh, hard work that has been going on. I think, um, look, in terms of uh, the additional elements of uh, funding through engage through so the mental health <clears throat> huge opportunity been there for some time. I've been allocated. I suspect that it should be that a lot of those decisions will already have been made. On that, on that basis, uh, as regards documentation, it is always the case that we need through the advice we get from Public Health Reserve. There will be constant iterations. The, the general principles largely with any level of advice will remain will remain the same. but We do have to always do that little bit of refresher in terms of additional pieces of information. What changes within that are on the grand scale, I think it's relatively small, so it shouldn't make too much of a direct direct impact. Um, and I suppose in terms of um, I don't know whether because uh, I think you, you, I appreciate the question yesterday, which um, wasn't able to be taken directly in the chamber. Uh, we are working in terms of initial pilot, but I think will also, if it works out, will be helpful uh, with PHA in terms of a couple of the schools in the valley on. Um, a more rapid uh, testing uh, regime that's been done as a pilot at, at present. And if that works, I think that's something which could then be a major advantage to uh, schools in terms of minimizing disruption and ensuring that students can be uh, in place. So, you know, there is good work that's going on in that side of it as well.
0: Just just very briefly, just Minister, Justin asked you a really, really clear question there. What, what level of break? Are principals and teachers going to get over this Christmas holiday? What? How many days? What? What is your understanding, accurately, they'll, of they'll, the break they will we'll get?
7: They'll largely getting, getting their, their normal holidays, on that basis on it will be according to the, the normal days schools are are in case. For all of us, I think we're facing additional burdens because of of COVID. There's no getting around that, and I'm sure all of us will be doing things over that Christmas uh, Christmas break, which normally perhaps we wouldn't necessarily be doing in that basis. But the break will be the same as it normally as it normally is.
0: Justin you wanna come in you wanna come in on that?
7: <laughs> that doesn't really much given the extra burden on
6: principals on teaching staff over this last number of months, so this last day, almost a year, it's extraordinary strong to think that they're gonna to continue to work after the school's close and contact tracing and um I think i need some more interrogation. Just, just in terms of contact tracing, until we move to a situation for instance, where there is a
7: much wider testing regime on that basis, that will be the case. You know, irrespective of if, if dates were moved, there we would still be then some level of some level of for, for many, uh, for most principals, from most schools, there won't be any level of contact in relation to in relation to, uh, in relation to uh, levels of. Uh, of issues in, in relation to, but that you know there will be a, a there's inevitably going to be some uh, risk of that happening irrespective of whatever dates are are there in place, and that to be honest, unfortunately, for all of us, the position that a lot of us are in, there, there will be some stuff that will that will, that will crop up over the, the, the Christmas period, which will impact on all of us, and that's unfortunately some of the complications
6: that are being brought by COVID, being brought by the of Public Health. Okay, thanks. Some people, as Karen touched on it, are now in their third period of self-isolation. That's having an enormous impact on their mental health. Obviously, they're concerned about the impact on their examination performance when they have had less face-to-face time with their their teachers than their peers. In short term, uh, I'm concerned about what will happen if there are confirmed COVID-19 cases next week. Does the Minister understand that one case in the GCSE year group, because 40 people have died twice a this happens next week. We see people's happy on really joining their family over Christmas. What, what's your perspective on that? In terms of isolation, let's remember what should be the case in terms of, of, of identifying close contact. It's supposed to be those who are within two meters for more than fifteen minutes. Now, every time people are sitting in the same places each each day, if an individual has, an, in most cases where we have had an outbreak, it has been on the basis of uh, one individual, not a there shouldn't be a reason why there should be 40 contacts with one individual. Well that's because I'm, I'm told by teachers right, on the ground
7: that it's happening. So one case capture is classroom. Sometimes that can be because of whatever interpretation is put in relation to that. Close contact is defined as within 2 metres for more than fifteen minutes.
0: Yeah, but it's also more than so that minister. It's also it's more also more it's also for, for one metre for a less time period than that as well. So that, that's 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 Eff- not Eff- the entire F11 there's a is, Eff-
7: is, 11, Eff- is still very right much close contact. But again, yeah. the point should be that if you've got people in different parts of a of a, a room, it, it shouldn't be the entire room which suddenly then comes as close contact. On that basis and if you look at the rollout figures it would suggest that is the case. Now different people will make different levels of interpretation sometimes in the region, but that is the direct guy into
0: DHA. Yeah, there, there are there are there are five hundred pupils self isolating in one school at this moment in time. Justin bring it and, back and, in. And,
7: and, and on that, on that basis, Chair, first of all, not all of those have been identified as close contacts. I think they are okay. in large because it's the school has taken a view that it is easier rather than trying to do a mixture of remote learning and face to face learning. To do uh, a lot. There was a very large uh, as remote learning uh, seems sensible. Area, yep. Okay. Idea, one of which I know is, is linked. Part of it is linked to socialisation. Where it the, was an 18th birthday party, the Saturday before
2: uh, the major Okay.
7: COVID. Okay. It shows I think, mm-hmm. the danger, danger of community transfer. The need for all of us to be, uh, all of us to be uh, very vigilant
0: over. Agreed. Agreed. This
7: period but beyond.
0: Agreed. Justin, was, Justin? Yep.
6: So in terms of isolation, we've that all by the impacts and the, the greatest impact to kids who come from come from disadvantaged backgrounds on to kids who are from, have special education needs. Is I mean their I mean the the attainment gap is growing, right, because of this this pandemic and that has to be addressed. Is ten P per pupil per day enough to address the loss learning and emotional well being of our primary school pupils for what has whether the impact has been made anymore because
7: of the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, just with respect, on it, we've, got a, we've got a budget out of the executive. Uh, to be fair, not just to the department, but the executive as a whole, they can't, you know, if we're saying actually, first of all, that is actually largely speaking to uh, use, for instance, in terms of the Engage programme, to use the people from the substitute list to be able to come in and do additional elements of that. How? If you're saying, for instance, it to be a pound per day and we have 120 million, if the executive will give me 120 million, believe me, there are ways in which I can, I can spend 120 million. I may not, I'm so sure. for instance, be able to find the personnel to be able to do all of that in terms of that. So, you know, there is a, a level we would all like to do uh, more. There will be limitations according to what the level of budget, and I think that the Engage programme is one overall in terms of investment, which has been widely welcomed. And he gets good
6: reception,
0: I think, from any
7: schools that I
6: can add. Okay. I think. No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but that's just, just saying that uh, we're, we're giving all the resources I to ensure that no kids are that for a man. There's no time this one now. You're telling me 10 people a day for engage
7: on where we're, sure we're sure. going okay. 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 okay.
6: okay. Minister,
0: Minister, I'm going to pause you. I'm saying, so, I'm so, saying, so. Something, <laughs> I'm saying something
7: different. I'm Never. saying we're giving all that resources. We're giving all the resources. That
0: uh, are available. That's a different thing. from saying that. that oh, so I mean,
2: said,
0: skills, yeah. if, if the executive was to give me a hundred million pounds, I can spend the hundred million. Okay, we've made we've on. made those points.
7: I, need, answers, I need to I need to stop you. In terms
0: of what in thanks, William. So really or sorry, no, thanks, thanks, p- 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 thanks p- Minister. P- I need to bring uh, William Humphrey in. William, are you there? Morning. <clears clears> thanks, William.
11: <throat> William. I think even, uh, our school leaders uh, and teachers and staff of schools and, and the legal instructors have made difficult decisions throughout this year, an unprecedented year. And, and, I, and I do think, as well, we need to give some consideration to the decisions that the ministers make, all ministers, because all ministers would make difficult decisions. And I think sometimes politicians are very keen to criticise ministers who are right with their parties, and I think we need to bear that in mind. Can I agree as well, and join others in uh, welcoming Barry in and wishing him well on his good appointment as the Chair of the Education Authority and Sharon, thank uh, Sharon O'Connor for her uh, contribution? Minister, so can I just say, um, speaking of the Governor and also to speaking to principals in mind, uh, I think one of the things that uh, would be really important is that we're going to be here is early decisions being made and the quick and effective sharing of information is crucial for those in the leadership of schools and I, I would just make that point. Um, but I've just wanted to looked at the teacher what we were saying earlier on there in terms of advice, um, in terms of issues that you were talking about, in terms of advice from CCA and School of New Year's. Can you expand on, on the sort of advice
7: and uh, the, the consultation you've been carrying out with those around those issues? Right, we've we been working. CCS was drew up a um, concert of the longest, so almost every degree of options. There's been various discussions. There's been iterations of those. That was most specifically we have a stakeholder group of school principals representing all the different sectors. They this has been talked through with them on a number of occasions. Because again, sometimes the, the menu change a little bit. That guard. Uh, sometimes there's a different process uh, as a result of that. So. Is that is where I should say well, yeah, I agree with you in terms of early decisions and where it is possible we go and try and get very decisions. Sometimes these are things which lie outside completely of the, I mean, sorry, are full the control of what not necessarily be the. which of the other point is, should you make a I should make, specifically because I omitted to do that earlier on, um, is the join, I think, with others in um, welcoming Bible McDonald to the Position of chair of, of EA and also thanking um, and wishing Sharon O'Connor uh, all the best for her years of
11: service with the education authority as well. You other issue I'd like to, to um, draw attention to um, our party colleague uh, Nicola Berner, who's a local councillor here, also manages uh, integrated services in British High uh, and Speaking to her and speaking to the school principals over the last number of weeks, um, I am um, Recently, turned around the issue of uh, general well being and mindfulness going forward. Uh, I think that's something which uh, we all know is uh, a huge problem anyway. In, in my constituency in North of and is it, is the other pandemic. Um, and what work has been done by government, government, government agencies, and community their response to those things. But I do think, given the, the,
2: the huge pressures and and significant change of life, and not
11: for most of it positive, that COVID has brought to you. many homes customers Northern. We need to be focused in a joint up way uh, around these issues. Can I just ask you what work is the department doing
2: with Department of Public Health Authority, Communities, Local Councils, uh, and um, the, the, the wider communities, consulting
11: with, with governors and so on? Around the issue of general um, and mindful and going forward, because this is going to be a huge issue. Well, uh, yeah, no, I agree.
2: There will be ongoing work. I suppose, directly speaking, there's been two interventions. One that's happened already,
7: one will be due to happen. Uh, directly, as regards to the, there's being a deal, if you like, in response to the COVID side of well, the broader mental health and well being of 5 million. Quarter of a quarter million of that went into youth know, services, the remainder went directly into schools and there is a level of flexibility even around mindfulness around the range of things where that, that can be spent. But also the intention will be that there has been money allocated within budget which will be rolled out on an annual basis, that the health has also contributed to of about 6.5 million that will be mainstream within, within budget that can go on on that list. Because there is, it, it's, it's also, I suppose, uh, part of the issue is that even in particular as regards individuals it's not just that one size fits all for individuals as well, as you'll appreciate. I mean, one of the things I've got back from a lot of schools in we have is actually they said the general resilience of the children has actually been quite amazing. But that perhaps masks also with the individual cases. And maybe not necessarily people that are already known to health or education. It's also sometimes what happens within families behind closed doors. We need to try and tackle that, that as well.
11: Okay,
0: Chair, uh, turn, turn on to me and I'm happy to be shortly for reasons I would to like to depart earlier. Thank you, Thanks William. So, sir. Thank you, William. The uh, final member is uh, Morris. Morris Bradley. You yeah. there, yeah, Morris? Yep, go ahead. Yes, yeah, Chair, can you hear me? Can indeed, go ahead. Thank you very much, Chair. Chair, I'd like to thank the
6: Masters and his team for appearing for here today and to me meet the, the question. So, uh, I, I will not want to agree on the current attack. However, uh, I would just say to the Minister that the greatest asset any organisation has is its staff. Often overworked and overlooked, but nonetheless the greatest asset. And I would echo the previous speaker, uh, and I to your teachers and mothers for an exceptional work very thanks
7: for the Minister, uh, as you know, I have concerns about the transfer test. While I remain in favour of, of the transfer test, I believe it needs to be reformulated. Given that we're still in the midst of a pandemic, will the Department be giving uh, support to those who are organising and taking the transfer test and includes guidance before the governors to ensure safety? Yeah, there, there, there has been guidance that's been an issued and as part of that particularly that um if we take both in the sense of saying to them in terms of as we face I think um, at the assembly yesterday that they, they have been indicated that they should have a wide range of criteria in place. I think that's due probably at the end of this week for schools, it's well their choice. But also I think advice has been given in terms of health and safety. We've written to both the schools themselves who will be hosting it, but also then the test providers. And there's an expectation that uh, with examinations that the, the range of um, sort of health mitigations that need to be put in place will be the same um,
9: on any set of, of examinations, whether they are transfer test level, whether they are GCSEA level, etc. It's very important. It's very sent to the providers of the test um, about the need to follow public health guidance and uh, specifically how we are going to deal with pupils from different primary schools and class schools. Mm-hmm. And then, once again last week, to so found the test providers that they you know, must ensure that they're uh, are complying with the health protection legislation and outlined the need to be able to provide The advice that they sought and the assessment of risk undertaken by them and host schools, and to make sure that they're very clear in advising parents of the steps that they've taken and the mitigations that have been put in place.
6: Just one final question, Chair
2: and staff.
9: Would the department be providing any additional support to help the teaching staff uh, during the track and trace and guidance teams that the are done in a safe manner? Well I mean don't
7: forget these are ultimately our are, are private tests in, in relation to that. If there's an identification the normal sort of procedure if there's somebody then at to identified the required sort of test and trace on them, you know, ultimately if, if schools are providing
2: us we've given them advice on what they need to have in, in place, these are ultimately private tests. The
7: responsibility will lie with, with those who are actually they're making a choice if they like to do these tests. Consequently I suppose they've they've got to deal with, with
2: Ensuring that all the consequences are, are put in place as well. Okay, thank you, thank, thank you, Minister.
0: Uh, chair. Thank, thank, thanks, Morris. Um, is, Minister, is it is it possible for these tests to be delivered within public health guidance?
7: Yeah. I mean, don't forget, at the end of the day, we're in a situation where um, we're talking about any one particular occasion accommodation of about ten thousand, roughly, on each individual occasion, uh, people's coming in. Whereas in the day so there will be about
0: a third of a million. And, and some in bubbles that don't leave that bubble for the whole day. Have you sought the well, advice yeah, of the
7: chief? So, yeah, part of, as part of the, they probably have guidance and part of the, the indications that are happening about the test organisation, they, they will be actually showing sure that the children are actually doing the test and doing so within their uh, bubbles, within the education. Again, yeah, it's all, everything will be applied with. Um, certainly
2: they guidance so we
7: given the decision that everything
0: is, is complete with in terms of public health terms. Okay. So I mean you've obviously sought guidance in terms of the impact of a uh, an early cessation of school based learning um, on R. Have you sought advice from the Chief Scientific Advisor and the Chief Medical uh, Officer with regards to the potential impact on the R rate of the setting of these tests?
7: Well, given given the value.
9: Is on the provider.
7: Yeah, I mean first of all the duty of care is on is on the provider. Whatever say we've I what I'm saying is in terms of the R rate, the health advisors who particularly the executive will we'll always give a level of assessment on what various aspects of life will have impact in terms of our I think issues were raised just in terms of um, the range of measures, not just within the but beyond that there in terms of our that will be constantly the, the, the duty is, is on that but in terms of the issue of art we're doing, again, we're talking about, uh, generally speaking, gatherings across a wide range of, of settings of about 10,000 pupils, when on each day there will be a third of a million uh, pupils that will be gathering, um, you know, within that. So I don't see how that will uh, the risk assessment is, is ultimately one for those who are actually conducting the test themselves.
0: Okay. Minister, final final question for me. I realise have given us a fair a fair wind of time here. In in, in terms of in terms of the, the the consideration of of any cessation of, of school based learning prior to Friday the eighteenth of December, did, did you even scope um, different options? You obviously have the stakeholders forum, the practitioners forum, the secondary student union available to you. Uh, have you even scoped, you know, one day, two day, um cessation of school-based learning um, with special schools remaining open or schools remaining open for key workers? Have you scoped any of those options no, I mean, or are you adamant that, that schools will remain open as late as the week commencing on the 21st of December? Chair, it's hard to see that,
7: that uh, logically from a point of view, given where periods of self-isolation would be. It is hard to see how, particularly, a one day or two day difference we make. And schools are given a level of flexibility in terms of already, in terms of the overall school year. The important thing is that uh, that schools remain uh, open for their their pupils, that they provide that face to face uh, learning uh, on that that basis. So, you know, I made it very clear I think schools need to remain open. That has been the consistent position. Okay. Okay. On that that note, Chair. I appreciate at various stages there have been different levels of, of uh, views expressed by both myself and committee members, but as I most strictly speaking this was the last time I've been front of the committee prior to it and I of wish uh, the uh, committee, all the committee members, uh, even, even those who are um, uh, signing up at the and I wish them a very uh, yeah. happy Christmas and I hope everything is, uh, goes well for everyone. Yeah, and,
0: and obviously, obviously, you've referenced that. I hope that you'll be making an announcement next week with regards to yes. examination, So, hope hopefully, it won't be the last time we see you before Christmas. <laughs> uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy our, our interaction, Peter. I
7: <laughs>
0: should say, obviously, in this forum and places on the show. Sure. And and, and genuine, genuinely,
7: Peter. We, if anybody wants to email me privately with what, what issues you want as Christmas presents,
2: I'm sure.
3: Uh, uh, Mine's uh, running away. Uh, I, know,
7: I, know, I, know, I know, sort of, that uh, Danny, Danny may well be sending me a well. Then he a the Department of Education very any long this, which would probably involve issues around examinations and a range of other uh, activities. But like, I wish everybody, I will be seeing you at the assembly next
2: week.
7: Yeah. On that basis, I wish everybody.
0: Yeah, uh, and yeah. uh, Minister, in, clo- in, in closing for me, we've we've obviously set out clearly and consistently, consistently what we think some of those key issues are for you to to seriously um, take take action on in in in, in weeks uh, rather than than months. And we do look forward to getting greater clarity with regards to examinations um, from you next week. And we've we've made our views clear in relation to the, what what we feel is the importance of that uh, cessation of school based learning adequately in advance of Christmas to ensure teaching, non-teaching staff, pupils who have sacrificed much over the last period of time, they they have the Christmas that they deserve. But we do sincerely wish you uh, and your departmental staff um, rest over that period of time as well. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Okay, members, uh, can I ask uh, Assembly Broadcasting um, to bring members uh, back into the spotlight and to ask the clerk to summarise uh, any actions we need to take.
1: Uh, thanks Chairperson. While well, just waiting for members to join the spotlight and the department to leave. Um, so again, uh, this is where members will jump in and see uh, what I've missed out. So it appears that the committee wishes to write to the departments. Um, urging uh, the provision of clarity on examinations and encouraging engagement with uh, students uh, and, uh, and schools in that regard.
0: Clark, can I supplement that very briefly because we just ran out of time on questions there but c- can we ask if the Deloitte independent mm-hmm. review mm-hmm. of examinations 2020 has been received and if SEA recommendations have been received? I presume they have if the minister hopes to make uh further statement to the assembly next week on that matter, but it might be helpful to get clarity in that regard. And I suppose, um, when they, if and when they would be made available to the committee, we were told six weeks. Okay, oh. sorry, that we're tight for time here as well, Clark. So I'll let you let you get through there.
1: And uh, then, additionally, then uh, the committee wishes to write to the department seeking clarity on the advice and support which will be provided to school leaders running up to and over Christmas in respect of track and trace. Um. Perhaps the committee wants to write to the department, to ask it to set out the position. Read those schools which have offered the students the option of working remotely. Yep. Um, additionally, then uh, seeking clarity on vocational and technical qualifications, which are undertaken <coughs> by some pupils in schools. Um, looking for further information on the timing of payments to the childcare providers, as Ms. Brogan also asked, and site of guidance to the schools and test providers in respect of the health mitigations relating to the post-primary transfer testing
2: um,
0: Yeah, can I, I'll add and bring, I think you mentioned parity with regards to um, track and tracing responsibilities and when they will cease for um, teaching staff can I also add a question again, didn't have time to ask in detail um, why no code to record uh COVID-related pupil absence has been yeah. created.
2: Um,
0: and bring in Deputy Chairperson Karen Mullen and I think Robin as well. Yeah.
5: Yep. On that, um, the one on the transfer test, uh, see in relation to the track and trace that's in place, whose responsibility is it? Is it the private providers, the, the primary school principal that the child comes from or the school mm. where the test is taken place? So maybe clarity on that. And maybe just for um, uh, details around that vaccination list, around um, school staff, been added to the vaccination list.
1: Is the committee, sorry, uh, deputy chair, is the committee taking the view then that um, school staff should be? Um, on that list I, I, I I think, keep
0: bringing in people I
1: think that's an important, Daniel,
3: then, that? that's an important uh, suggestion <coughs> that, simply because uh, teachers have been in our opinion to be directly exposed to large groups of young people uh, who at a time were considered as super spreaders of this virus although that has hasn't been heard in some weeks and months uh, I do think it is important to uh, ensure the safety and to to uh, uh, ease the anxiety within the teaching profession that that, that suggestion is supported. Uh, I, I do not see why not. They are absolutely uh, on the front line and they are providing an invaluable service in educating our children in these most
1: challenging times. And also, childcare staff as well? Yeah. yeah. I think you meant that? Yeah. Thanks,
0: Members Church. content? Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Yep. Bring in Robin Newton as well. Yeah.
4: yeah. Can I? Yeah, it is really, uh, you raised the point about the uh, principals making their decisions already. Can we just try to understand what flexibility school principals have in the area, Peter?
1: In respect of uh, school closure?
4: Yes, or or Um, remote remote learning 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 or 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 whatever. whatever. Um, We can just try to understand that. Uh, And uh, um, Ms. Brubin uh, raised the issue uh, following me. In terms of the a letter from the Minister, dated the 3rd of December, on the Child Care Support Fund and he's indicated that he has. Uh, has he, he is intending uh, to announce further funding for the scheme, if we could maybe try to understand uh, – no, I think he said the figures have gone past me yeah, – how much that is and when that money might indeed uh, be, be be allocated. Thanks, Chair Okay.
3: All uh, no, just uh, Daniel? Uh, Yeah. Um, in relation to track and trace, uh, like all of us are receiving considerable concern. In, uh, in relation to the heavy workload uh, in that regard, uh, I don't think there's been any extra resource to help support the school uh, in that. And it, it can take <coughs> a significant period of time uh, for a, a principal or a teacher to see that out. So I'm just wondering, is there, Maradon asking? for resources in that regard. It has added a huge amount of work to an already very difficult
0: situation. And to ask the department and the Minister's assessment whether support for contact tracing for principals and teaching staff has been adequate and indeed
5: what it is <coughs> Karen? Uh, Clerk, I, have a, I, I did ask that. There's a question mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Um, I suppose I was told at the time the best person to do track and trace was the principal. So back then and asked for extra resources right. for the principal, all our duties the principal carry out, so I think there's a...
1: It's been asked That's a few times, the, the members right. No,
5: there's, a yeah. there's an answer there, but it's probably not the answer we wanted to hear. No,
1: Irene, probably. <laughs> yeah. But it's a
3: big issue. Ah,
0: OK. Any other actions, Clarke? No. Members, members, just
3: here, members, Daniel. In terms of school closure, and all of us are getting inundated in relation to that That issue and also the the huge debate around it as to how it will impact on the SEN children and people that are in work and everything else. But I suppose the best approach would be flexibility to allow schools to close. So I'm just wondering, um, have we a position
0: collectively as a committee on this, or
3: what what is the?
0: I I I, I tried to ask my, my last question at the end there to see what whether options had been scoped. It might. If we get into the realm of of yeah. of a specific option here, I think it might be it might be challenging. But I think it would have been for my position, and, and this is not to be confrontational. I, I think it would have been helpful to to hear whether any type of those options had been scoped, because yeah. I, th- I think most members have acknowledged that um, uh, partial school closure yeah. does have implications for um, vulnerable children. Does have implications for. Uh, key worker families, for example, with hospitals under or over capacity and under significant pressure. But um, I I don't get the impression that those different options were scoped from the answers that are received today. So um, have, have we an action in that regard in relation or, or have we, do the, the, feel like we've asked our questions today, regrettably? The reason I've
3: asked that is, yeah. is because of Peter's, the Minister's letter to schools that has added Pressure on those who are in a place where they feel that the school should close. Now, ultimately, it will be their decision. But it has added uh, a, an extra layer of pressure. I think a, a flexible approach is probably best, and what is best in the best interest of the school uh, and the circumstances of the school and the pupils and the teachers. Um, uh, but I think the letter from the minister this week has been unhelpful, and that it has added pressure to them. Uh, and that that has that is why we are getting inundated. With people calling for schools to close on the eleventh, a view which I share completely. But in terms of um, how we go forward, I, I think that um, this is, well. We're running out of time now
0: anyway. Yeah, we're no, I, 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 agree. I, 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 think some cessation of school-based learning um, should have occurred. And as I made clear, we're now, um, we're now uh, behind England, who has announced today that. That cessation will occur from Thursday, the 17th of December, and yet we're told today some schools may be, may require pupils to attend as late as the week commences on Monday 21st December. I, I don't think we're going to get a, a committee position on this issue, but could I perhaps propose a, an action that we, we do request further detail with regards to what options were scoped or if any? Flexibility is being scoped, and maybe tie that into the question with regards to what flexibility is available to schools who may wish to move to um, remote learning themselves, which I think creates its own challenges, to be honest. But um, yeah, I think that's is that a fair yeah. action? Yeah. yeah.
3: So, so basically, what options does the master consider around potential closures, uh, early closures, and uh, why he has made the decision to keep schools open? To explain that? Should we ask him to explain that? I, I think he has <laughs> set out his position. Um, I, 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 think,
0: I think it would be useful to know what options were scoped yeah. and, and if any flexibility um, exists <coughs> for schools who wish to um, move to remote learning in advance of the scheduled closure date. Is that fair enough?
3: I think that's
5: included in what Robin yeah, said. Yeah, we can attach it to that.
3: Independent Sage has also called for this, which remember, and they've made some very critical and clear points in relation to why the argument for uh, uh, flexible closing or early closing uh, is so uh, important, yeah. particularly given the situation in most schools. Okay.
4: Yeah. Sure. I haven't seen the indicative timings for next week, but uh, do we know when the ministers...
1: Not on the indicative timings no, no, no. yet, but they, these would be late anyway. That would appear on Friday or something. Okay. okay. And the
0: members will make their own positions on those issues yep. very clear yep. publicly. I'm sure, as we as we have been doing. Okay, Clark. Members content. Okay. If we can move to, to agenda item six. Um, Another vital briefing on uh, seclusion, restraint and restrictive practice from the British Association of Social Workers. Can I ask Assembly Broadcasting to remove all members from the spotlight and add the witnesses? Can I refer members to a briefing note from the committee clerk at page 123, a paper from uh, BASWNI at page 130, a related assembly research paper at 132, and education and training inspectorate 2013 report into challenging behaviour in special schools at page 152. Other related correspondence from page 167. And can I welcome then Carolyn Yurt, Director of the British Association of Social Workers, Northern Ireland, and Andy McLenahan, Communications and Public Affairs Officer for the British Association of Social Workers, Northern Ireland. And by way of welcome, can I say that the, the committee has uh, allocated uh, some uh, time to this uh, issue for a a number of months, and we have received um, uh, correspondence uh, from very concerned parents um, with regards to restrictive practice in schools. Um, We know it's something that has been progressed in other jurisdictions, but uh, not yet in Northern Ireland in terms of more up-to-date guidance on this matter. The Committee is therefore glad to engage with the British Association of Social Workers uh, on this important matter. Can I advise uh, uh, witnesses that you have uh, around 10 minutes to make an opening statement, and then we'll follow that by question from the members. I think over to Carolyn and Andy. Can Andy hear us? Yes? Sure, I can you hear you. Okay. No, I can't hear Carolyn. Okay. Who? I can't hear her. is Carolyn starting? <laughs> <laughs> Carolyn was
11: start, yes. Yeah.
1: Um, maybe she's muted. Sorry.
0: Carolyn muted, maybe? Apologies,
2: can you hear me now?
0: it it's a bit grainy, but go ahead and we'll we'll hopefully we'll be okay there.
12: The choice of. all can you hear? I'm going to try to adjust some speakers on my headphones yeah, that, and see if that makes a difference.
0: That, that would be helpful. That would be helpful. It, it is it is a digital sounding at the moment. Uh, I don't don't think we'd be able to uh, proceed with that sound level at the moment. Okay.
12: Does that make any difference for you, Chairman? Not not no. I don't think so. <coughs>
0: Okay. Yeah, it might be helpful. I can hear you all very clearly, but there's something clearly going on my my head here. Any better? Slightly, slightly better. Try again. No. No, we've lost you. Saying it, saying it again. Did, did Andy, did you have comments as well? Could we maybe take your comments and then try and get Carolyn logged out and logged back in again? Um, certainly. There's a, a... Carolyn,
13: would you be happy if I spoke to your opening statement? Would that be...? That'd be okay.
0: That be okay. That'd be great.
13: Yeah.
0: Sorry about that, Carolyn, okay. but hopefully we'll get, you, we'll get you fixed there. Thanks, Andy. Okay, no
13: problem. So, I'll just... Uh, I'll tell you this. Mr. Chairman, members. Thanks very much for the invitation to present this morning. Um, as you know, I'm Andy McKinnon, Baswick, Northern Ireland Communications and Public Affairs Officer and Academy your Advanced National Director. is also going to be in the comments. <coughs> I'm going to briefly outline Baswick Northern Ireland's position on the use of restrictive practices, seclusion and restraint. And then I will go on to explain a little bit about what we feel should be put in place to, to actually remove the need for use of restrictive practices in, in, in the vast majority of contexts. Then we'll to take some questions. So, for a little bit of background on BASWA, um, we are, BASWA Ireland is part of BASWA UK, the largest professional body for social workers. Um, in the UK, we have 21,000 members employed uh, totally across all areas of social work practice. In Northern Ireland, there's approximately 6,600 registered social workers. Um, they, the majority of them work in the statutory health and social care sector. Social workers also work in the education sector in various roles including the Education Authority, Education Welfare Service and Child Protection Support Service Such workers are also working in criminal pre- and youth justice sectors, in the voluntary sector and as independent practitioners So, as we know, Darren, we first became involved with this issue when a member of ours who co-authored a report was contacted by consenting parents um, The report is Three Steps to Positive Practice and it's a, right, uh, a rights based approach, um, which is to use when considering the use of restrictive interventions. The document was jointly produced by the Royal College of Psychiatrists, the Royal College of Nursing, and the Royal College of OTs sorry, the Royal College of Occupational Therapists. Um, as <laughs> and as an association, could not take on individual cases, but we decided to explore the wider social issues raised, and to review the policy and guidance. So in, in short, Basel-Naghan is concerned with the lack of standardised policies and guidance from the Department of Education regarding the use of restrictive practices and seclusion with children and young people with additional needs including those with physical or learning disabilities. The association recognises the damaging physical, psychological and emotional effects that restraint and seclusion can have on children and young people and we note that the emotional impacts of these practices are often felt by the families of the children and young people involved. The Department's existing guidance on the use of reasonable force to restrain pupils. It focuses on the use of restraint in context of good order and discipline. However, where a child or young person with additional needs exhibits a behaviour which is considered to be challenging, it's important that the approach centres on meeting the child's individual needs. Addressing behaviour from a stance solely focused on maintaining discipline is going to fail to meet the needs of the children and young people involved. So, that's where the management called for mandatory training for all staff working directly with children and young people with additional needs. And we recommend that interventions should be therapeutic in outcome and focus on positive behaviour support strategies with restraint use only as a last resort option. Basic is opposed to the use of seclusion, that is the isolation of a child or a young person away from others in a room or area from which they are prevented from leaving. But it's important to stress that it should be recognized, however, that there is a significant difference between the legitimate use of a quiet space away from other children, where a child can voluntarily go as part of an agreed behaviour support plan or in an emergency situation for the prevention of harm. And, and that's the um, clearly distinguished from a room where a child is locked in by themselves and unable to leave. The department's guidance on positive behaviour support strategies needs to be produced in sorry any forthcoming department guidance on positive behaviour support strategies needs to be produced in partnership with parents and all other relevant stakeholders and it should define what constitutes a last resort scenario in which restraint may be used. The guidance should be distributed to all staff working directly with children and young people with additional needs as part of their mandatory training. Glasgow Northern Ireland will also support the introduction of mandatory recording and recording of all incidents of restrictive practice and seclusion. Records of cases of restriction and seclusion should be shared with the parents and guardians of the children and young people involved as well as with the School Board, Education Authority, the Department of Education and the Northern Ireland Commissioner for Children and Young People. For restraint or seclusion has been be employed, a meeting should, uh, between the school and the child or young person's parents or guardians should be convened to consider the incident and the discussion should cover what prior interventions were employed to de-escalate the incident and to examine what strategies will be put in place to minimise the need for seclusion or restraint in the future. Now, investigating the safeguarding concerns resulting from restraint and seclusion is a role for social workers and it is essential that schools the Education Authority and the Department engage fully in social work investigations of any such concerns. The Battsville Planning believes, however, that guidance for schools should be developed by the Department to ensure that as a first step there is a thorough, open and time-bound investigation of complaints raised by parents prior to social service involvement. Battsville Planning today has met with the Department for Education and the Education Authority to raise the issues that I've just presented to you now. And we've also had discussions with the questionnaire Ch- for children and young people in Northern Ireland. We also saw engagement with the five teachers unions to discuss the measures we are calling for but we haven't had any conversations since we reached out to the teaching unions. <coughs> I'll just move on to the, the, the second statement that I was read out um, following on from Carolyn's um, so i stress that we, we advocated the use of restrictive practices should only be used in last resort scenarios, but I think, you know, if we're going to avoid the use of restraint and properly meet children to remove people's needs, we need, to, we need to take several steps back in the process to ensure that support is delivered um, in what we consider to be a preventative,
2: low arousal context. It's really important that if we're going to avoid the use of restraint,
13: that um, the support needs of individuals are anticipated and any potential challenges that might be posed that um, uh, can be addressed um, so that restraint and seclusion can be replaced with person-centered therapeutic interventions that focus on improving the well-being of the child or young person. And considering how children and young people are supported in special educational settings it's really vital, and this is something we've we'll already stressed a number of times today, it's really vital to remember that all behaviour is communication. So this is especially relevant when considering the needs of children and young people who are non-verbal. Behaviour that challenges, it needs to be recognised that behaviour that challenges may signal the need for support, and it's essential to understand that it, its underlying causes. The UK government um, has produced non-statutory guidance um, for England um, for healthcare settings and for special educational settings. And that guidance focuses on reducing the need for restraint and restricted intervention. And it recognises that behaviour which challenges could be the result of a medical condition or sensory impairment. It can be the result of previous trauma or neglect, or it can be exacerbated by an unmet physiological need or an undiagnosed medical condition. Um, the data which challenges may also reflect the challenges of communication or the frustrations faced by children and young people with learning disabilities, autistic spectrum conditions, and mental health difficulties, um, who
2: also may have little choice and control over their lives. I uh, previously mentioned the of approaches. What that
13: means, that includes interaction, diffusion, and distraction strategies that focus on reducing stress, fear, and frustration. And very importantly, they're aimed at preventing aggression in crisis situations. Low-arousal approaches will identify triggers and use low-intensity strategies and solutions to avoid punitive consequences for children who are distressed. Um, As we are concerned that the training currently provided to teachers and support staff in Northern Ireland may not focus sufficiently on de-escalation training and lower arousal approaches and this can lead to unnecessary use of restraint and seclusion. The result is that what should be used as a last resort only in crisis situations is being used over frequently without regulation, without recording and without reporting to parents and families. I'll finish there as It's
2: coming back with us. Hello, Valentine. Can you hear
0: me? Um, It's still very very nice. Yeah, it's a good comparison. I am not sure what else I can do at this
13: stage. Um, your fo- impossible to make what you're
0: saying
1: wait, wait. can you pronounce
12: oh, I,
0: I I I can make out what you're saying just as Andy said it, it's it's uh, extremely close to Dalek uh from <laughs> Doctor Who <laughs> <laughs> but um we, that. That's I think. I think we have some games. <laughs> I think,
1: something to do with her headphones. Oh, something what? to do with the headphones potentially. Sorry, Paula. What's that? You're just typing away furiously.
10: Um, if she uses um, the phone line and phones in, okay, we'll okay. be able to hear her, but just not see her.
1: Okay, okay.
10: The, <laughs> an alternative
0: option, Carolyn, might be to phone in and use the, the phone line. I think uh, Andy, you've, you've covered all the, the opening comments um, that Baswell wanted to make though. Is that is that right? Yes.
2: That's right, that's which true. were
0: which were very helpful indeed, um, and uh, perhaps if there are key if if we can't get the phone line option working for Carolyn, we, we can we can hear what you're saying. it, it is just not in normal audio uh, sound. So if there's a if there is a key point that you would like to make, perhaps we can persist with that as well. But are, are you content for us to move to questions at at this stage, Andy?
13: Can you
0: just hold on, uh, Chair, until Carolyn is connected? Yeah, that, that's okay. Should, Clark, should we take a short uh, break? We? Yeah, okay. that, let's take a, a, a very, very uh, two minute short break here to see if we can resolve those issues for Carolyn. But thank you for a really helpful opening statement, um, Andy. Thank you. Okay, me- okay, members and witnesses, that's us returned to public session. Um, Carolyn, I think we have resolved the uh, audio gremlins and we're delighted to have you back with us. Um, Carolyn and Andy, thank you both uh, for that extremely helpful opening statement. Um, can I uh, ask a, a first uh, set of questions um, by asking are there, are, are there approaches that have been taken uh, to update uh, guidance in relation to restrictive practice, uh, seclusion and restraint in other jurisdictions that could be a useful template for what updated guidance ought to uh, look like in Northern Ireland? Um, ask that of, of Andy and Carolyn. Andy, do you want to take that? Yes,
13: no problem, sorry, Cherry. Your audio got a bit. I think I got the the, the gist of the question. Yes, there is. There's government guidance issued um, for England. Um, It was produced in 2019 on reducing the need for restraint and restrictive intervention. And although that was very welcome, that that guidance was produced, there are some shortcomings with it. It's um it's not statutory guidance. Um, which I think is limits Um, um, how how useful it can be. It also only applies in um, special educational settings and healthcare settings, it doesn't apply in mainstream schools, which limits its its, its usefulness as well. I think some of the comments are coming to the UK guidance are also, it raises quite a responsibility on the professional judgement of teachers to decide if restraint is necessary, reasonable and proportionate. and we believe in the of Northern Ireland that any guidance introduced in Northern Ireland should exceed this standard and have a comprehensive but not of these often list of examples of when restraints should be used. Because our concern is that if, if you leave the decision solely to the professional judgment um, of individual teaching staff, that can allow a significant room for interpretation of the standards, which could lead to an unnecessary and avoidable use of restraint. I think also the English guidance it, it places an unfair responsibility on teachers because it it says to be perfect, to be confident in the judgment and just quoting directly from it. To be confident in the judgment, staff should also ensure that they know the scope of the legal powers authorising restraint, keep abreast of changes to and, and developments in the understanding of what constitutes good practice in this area. I don't think that's appropriate at all. Um, to ensure staff are adequately resourced and supported to minimise the use of restrictive practices, it's absolutely essential that staff in Northern Ireland are fully trained in use of positive behaviour support strategies. That um, they have an alternative approach, and that the departments for Education and the Education Authority are held responsible
2: for ensuring staff are kept up to date with developments on what is considered good practice. But that responsibility on the individual teachers, I think,
13: is very lacking and, and not fair to those, those staff. In Scotland, interestingly, the Scottish Government is in the process of developing guidance um, for the use of recruitment and seclusion. The Scottish Government, this came about um, as a result of a judicial review which was
2: um, supported by the Scottish Government and the Human Rights Commission. A, if the government wants to look into it
13: in more detail, the Children's Commissioner, Children and Young People's Commission in Scotland has a fantastic report, I think it's 2018, it's called No Safe Place, and it examines the use of restraint and seclusion across um, schools in Scotland and the engagement there with, um, <laughs> in Scotland with local authorities, given their responsibility for education. Find some really worrying really inconsistencies in terms of a lack
11: of policies um, in different uh, across the different local authorities. They find that um, the implementation, also
13: uh, oh, the the, the situation in Scotland and uh, the lack of guidance centrally, um, it risks violating various different aspects of human rights law. It found up issue around the, um, the Convention on the Rights of the Child, but that I understand judicial review. Taken forward um, and supported by the um, Scottish all and Human Rights Commission, focused on Articles 3, 5 and 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights, because it's the ECHR which is implemented um, by the, the UK Human Rights Act, so that is what is applicable in UK law. Article 3 not focuses on the prohibition of torture, and human or degrading treatment or and punishment. Article 5 focuses on the right to liberty and security, and Article 8 focuses on the right. To respect for private life, which includes respect for physical integrity. So, in the Scottish guidance, which means the process of being developed, will have a very strong, as I understand, human
0: rights basis. And we think that something similar, a uh, similar approach needs to be taken in That's That's helpful, Andy. So, there, there is a significant body of work there that um, the Department of Education uh, and other stakeholders can draw from. I noticed that you said uh, a limitation of the england guidance was non-statutory in nature you you believe that new guidance in northern ireland should be statutory in nature then yeah, yeah. Uh, i'm sorry can i maybe just check that everyone else who isn't speaking is on mute as there's quite a bit of significant background noise okay um just 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 to reiterate if everyone who is not speaking could be muted. There is a significant amount of background noise there. So Andy, I was was saying, um, you think therefore that the uh, Northern Irish guidance should be statutory in nature? Yes, and I would also just comment that the Scottish
13: guidance is non-statutory guidance. I think my understanding is that their plan is to introduce non-statutory guidance with uh, with that to be reviewed to to see how, how useful it's actually been. Okay. Um, yeah, and I think it would be. It just in terms of Northern Ireland, though, I wouldn't. Our position would be that the introduction of non-statutory guidance would be a good thing uh, in the short term. Um, I think if we were to wait for the introduction of statutory guidance, given how long it could take for the legislation to pass, it would be remiss to wait until legislation is passed to have guidance introduced. I think it's really important that if you want to actually engender any sort of cultural shift in terms of how um, people operate in any big institution, and if we think of the education sector as an institution in that context, it's very important that you shape um, uh, the culture through uh, training, engagement and guidance, and if we just wait to have legislation passed, that's going to take a long time, but it also may not have the, um,
0: all of the intended credit, all of the intended benefits that we'd be looking for. Fair enough. And in terms of uh, action necessary to bring forward up-to-date standardised guidance in Northern Ireland, can you uh, give the committee an idea of what work is underway? I know that the Department of Education, Children's Commissioner, Northern Ireland um, Public Service Ombudsman um, have have initiated work in that regard, is that right?
2: How would you like to go with that? Yes, I'll take that, Andy, is that okay? Chair? Um, sure. happy to report that that is the case,
12: and now I'd like to say at, at this stage, thank you all for your patience and understanding um, <laughs> with, with difficulties, it's nice to be able to, to speak with you. Um, I would also want to, think too, to acknowledge the, the huge amount of work that, that families um, have been doing in, in relation to this area for some time, and those are families of children who've been you know, directly impacted. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've had involved participants over the last sort of uh twelve months or so uh in trying to look at the issues, and L has, has set those out very clearly in, in his earlier briefings. Um we, we've had actually now two meetings with um Department for Education and the Education Authority, um, our first one back in September and um uh, a second one just last week. Uh, I think it's fair to say that um our first meeting, you know, we the, 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 the um the officials were, were very clear that they were uh, initiating on, on the request of the Minister a very broad-ranging review uh, and were open to all the suggestions that, that we would be making in relation to uh, the need for, for guidance. Uh, there was an openness, I think, to, to consider um, statutes and the use of legislation if that was required uh, and an openness and willingness to, to review uh, not only you know, the, the current guidance which is in our view more fully outdated, I mean, 1999 was the last kind of guidance um, that was uh, had been issued um, to staff and to schools um, but also uh, I think we made uh, representations so that it was important that all the stakeholders uh, were involved and included uh, in that process Covid, I think and better, they'll be able to answer much better uh, than, than we will in terms of their actions but we do recognise that Covid obviously has had a significant impact on uh, them being able to take forward the work uh, and obviously um, based on you know, the, the discussion you've already had this morning, the impact on, on teaching staff, schools, and children at school has I mean, been significant uh, but there's a real commitment I think there from the department to uh, take a written branch review of the entire uh, system uh, and openness to look at guidance, legislation and, um, and positive behaviour approaches and models that should be used in schools so we would be keen to be uh, part of that. We would also like to see uh, and ensure that parents and young people uh, are part of that um, process as well. Um, I mean the, the principles that are around in terms of partnership uh, and parental responsibility linked to the children's order are very clearly keen to, to have uh, those with lived experience and, and expert by experience uh, involved the process so we would um, absolutely support that. Uh, I, also important, uh, we understand there's there's two separate groups uh, there is a, a working group, a working party if you like, and an advisory group uh, we don't know the details of the membership of those groups at this stage but we understand that we'll be asked um, as the as well as Northern Ireland to be part of the advisory group uh, that would uh, be important to think that teaching unions etc are involved in, in that group uh, alongside parents um, and the uh, the working group, uh, I suppose it's for the department to decide the, the makeup of that group but important that it's inclusive uh, and those all the
0: people who um, have a legitimate um, voice in the process. That's great. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Helpful information. Can I bring Deputy Chairperson Karen Mullen, MLA, in?
5: Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Caroline and Andy. And Caroline, uh, I know you had technical difficulties, but we're just sitting here admiring your beautiful tree. So it made, it made up for it. <laughs> I'm so jealous because I don't have mine up yet. So no, it's great to, to finally hear from both of you this morning. I think that both of you have um, covered uh, everything in the, in the briefing, both the briefing you've provided beforehand and today. And most of mine has been covered by the Chair's question, so it's just really a couple of statements that I wanted to say. Like the Chair had said, we've heard from a number of parents um, and throughout this time uh, it was something new that came to me as, when I came on as the party's education spokesperson. I was very shocked by some of the horrific experiences that their children have been through and uh, very concerned around the lack of uh, standardised guidance and policies and how outdid it that it was but hearing from, from yourself, Caroline, in particular, that the Department and the Education Authority is working on it, because um, that was going to be one of the questions, so it's really good to hear that they're already are work, working, meeting, establishing the working groups and the advisory groups, so it is important to ensure that, as you say, Caroline, uh, families have been to the fore of this. They have done so much work. There is so much solutions that they have brought forward. And along with yourselves, I fully agree with all the recommendations that you, that you have brought. There's a lot of learning there, as we talked about the other jurisdictions. So it's all there. It's just around implementing it and changing it. And like Andy said, we could get started in that now. We don't have to wait for the policy and the legislation to be changed. Training is something that could be acted on immediately. Um, I would be an advocate around autism training, but believe it needs to go, the mandatory autism training needs to go further um, uh, and include positive behaviour strategies, but include all school staff, not just teaching staff. So uh, that is something that could be acted upon on that um, and also I believe that in all of this we need to see accountability mechanisms included because I have to say I was really shocked that records may not be shared, parents not being informed um, and uh, I would believe that our numbers here would be higher when you look at the Scottish numbers. So all of that could be started to be changed um, while we went for the, the legislation and policy. So that's really me. Thank, thank yous you both. Um, I know we have a there's a motion coming to the assembly, so, there's a, so there'll be a lot of debate on it then as well. So thank you both.
0: Thanks, Karen. Robin, Robin Newton left.
4: Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you uh, uh, to members for for coming before us today. It's Extremely interesting and extremely relevant. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure your own um, research has told you that the. The uh, committee in general has been extremely supportive of uh, our special needs uh, schools uh, and indeed the uh, special needs principals and staff uh, within the schools. I've, I've Just uh, a, a couple of uh, questions, uh, I think they're probably fairly short questions. Um, we were surprised uh, last week that uh, there were areas of teacher training uh, that didn't cover aspects of the care situation. Can you just tell us whether or not in our teacher training colleges autism is covered within the curriculum of of, of teacher training? Can I also ask, have you had any conversations with the uh, school leadership group within the special educational needs uh, schools? And I think uh, it was Andy mentioned that you had tried to make contact with the uh, teacher teaching trade unions and, and hadn't had any response from the, the, the trade unions, perhaps you let us know when that was and whether or not uh, it, that's an ongoing matter for you? <coughs>
7: Andy, um, do you want to just pick
12: up the issue around the, the, the communication with the uh, with the trade unions?
13: Um and then follow up on the other issues? Yes, no problem. Um if I may, just can yeah, I I just need to actually search back. I'm not entirely sure when we did write unions. it was a number of months back. Can could you address those other issues now come in at the end with that when I when I pull it out? Forgive yeah. me. Yeah, and my my sense was that it was around
12: August September time, but uh, I I didn't I I wouldn't um, be able to just confirm that offhand. Um, it's an interesting question, and I suppose we we don't actually um, know at this stage, um, Robin, what the the training would be uh, in relation to uh, teacher training. It's um, we represent social workers and are involved with social workers, so I can talk lots about what social work training might involve. Unfortunately, I don't have that information, but I think it would be. Uh, interesting. I'm sure if this is an area that you choose to pursue, there will be many people you could call who, who could give you information uh, on that. Um, I think the approach in relation to um, a whole school approach is, is one that's really important and I think what we're trying to say is that you know, once the department make a decision around what the, the best approach is and look to um, set out the model that it would want to use and, and at the moment um, it, it uses team teach. Uh, under the um, auspices of the review, that's up, I think for discussion as well in terms of trying to find uh, the best model that really fits for Northern Ireland. And I think just to echo Andy's comments, I think there's a real aspiration here which we would support um, to say that you know we should have the best possible model for the children and young people um, at our schools. Uh, and we make that based on evidence, uh, look at research, look at what we know um, are, are the best uh, the, the models that would provide the best outcomes for children um, that support them and nurture them and develop them um, and that don't lead to, to trauma uh, and mistrust and fear. so um, I think in the model that's picked uh, and the training that's required that needs to be a whole school system so that's not just the teachers, uh, it's the teaching staff, it's the cleaning staff, it's the uh, the ancillary staff who support uh, in terms of driving uh, all the, the, the individuals who come into contact uh, with children, and, and that, as we understand from uh, from the evidence,
13: uh, points to and um, the best uh, the best possible outcome for, for those children. Um, if, if uh, Mr. The, the, the letters went out to the teaching unions on the 25th of September and, and just, just to follow on, Carol mentioned um, Teach being um, the, the training provider i just point the committee to um, resources online, British Institute of Learning, which is the education organisation which certifies organisations which have demonstrated that the training services comply with the screen production network training standards um, it's a pretty rigorous process and it's accredited by the United you know, Kingdom Accreditation Service um, as meeting the ISO standards for certification. Um, you can check on my website organisations that have been um, certified in line with those Reduction production network training standards. Um, but as of yesterday, when I checked, Team Teach was listed um, as an organisation that is working towards certification. Not
4: an organisation which has received certification under the Restraint and Occupational Standards, I don't think that's just something that the committee to be aware of yeah. when it's looking at the training which is being rolled out, which is currently in, in place in, in special schools. Okay. Can I
12: can I just ask you about the the contact if you've had it with the special schools leadership group? We actually that we we are in, in the process you we know, have a member um, who's trying
0: to up a meeting with us um with that group we haven't actually um had uh, contact with them at this stage okay thank okay, you chair thank you uh can i bring in daniel mccrossan yes uh thank you very much for your
3: uh, presentations this is something that uh, we all feel uh, quite strongly about and uh, we recognize that there are issues I've been lobbied uh, significantly in relation to this, uh, people in my own constituency and beyond, Andrew Shakespeare, to name one, Sean Kane, to name another, um, and I know that there's a huge amount of work going on in relation to the motion that's come before the Assembly, which uh, we will be supporting. Um, I just have a number of questions. Um, is there a guidance for schools being used in other jurisdictions which could be a template for standardised school guidance here?
13: Um, just to touch, to touch on the guidance that I was citing earlier, um, Daniel, yeah. was the, the guidance which is, um, is produced by the UK government, but it's for England, as I understand, just England, um, and it's, uh, it's sort of cross-departmental guidance, because it covers special schools and healthcare settings, so it's both the Department for Education and Department um, for Health guidance. So that is guidance that could be looked to as a template, but as I mentioned earlier, it does have a number of shortcomings, most notably that it's not statutory, that it also doesn't apply in mainstream schools for, for kids that are in mainstream schools that have special educational needs. Um, I mentioned earlier that I think it, it puts too much um, emphasis on professional judgment. Um, I not decide the situations in which restraint should be used. I think there needs to be a really clearly really defined list example of examples of what restraint can be used, You know, so that it's, it's understood that it's really ought to be an absolute last resort option. And finally, that it places too much responsibility on teachers to stay abreast of developments in terms of good practice. I think if you're going if, if, to ensure we have good practice and um, uniform across schools, in the other hand, the Department for Education and Education Authority need to take a lead in actually keeping staff up to date and ensuring training is not just a one-off event. And this is a big issue because the staff are going to be to t- trained. It's going to be a big resourcing issue. Um, mm-hmm. It's another important for teachers. And um, to take on. It's an absolutely vital thing that teachers do take on. But you know, we'll say from the professional body for social workers, we know that social workers are massively overburdened with their workload, We campaign in relation to reducing bureaucracy that social workers can actually get on with the work that they are trained to do in terms of supporting service users. And we'll draw a comparison to that on teaching staff. Teaching staff need to be adequately resourced, they need to be freed up if they're going to get trained, and they need to be supported. Um, because for you know, I can't I not imagine a scenario where any teacher goes into school in the morning and thinks, I want to restrain particularly children. It, it, it it's it's not why individuals going go into teaching. Yeah. Um teachers need to be resourced to provide an atmosphere and environment where kids are supported, where kids are in the old. Yeah. Um so it needs to needs a approach where children are able to um ensure that their needs are met. Um, and just coming back, you mentioned being loved by parents. There are a number of parents that have, have been you know, incredibly articulate vocal in terms of um, this issue. Caroline mentioned in terms of the Department for Education and the advisory group. It's very important that there's personal representation in that group. The approach we are advocating needs to go beyond that. If we're talking about positive behaviour support, part of positive behaviour support is empowerment of the child or the young person. And when a a support plan is developed for that child or young person, it needs to be developed, not just by the teaching staff, but it needs to be developed in cooperation with the child, the young person, and also with the child or young person's parent and guardian. So in terms of parents, they have a role which comes right through this whole process. It's not a case that um, we want to see parents shaping the guidance. We want to see parents actively involved in shaping the positive behaviour support plans that their children
3: and I'm about to move. Yeah, you've touched on a very critical point because, whereas I agree with everything you've said, in reality and making that workable uh, is an entirely separate issue. Uh, we could train teachers very well but resourcing is a a factor. Uh, We could have some of the the best trained teachers uh, in the country uh, but uh, that that, uh, in turn without necessary resource to back up the situation in the classroom uh, proves uh, to be very difficult. So uh, I I think that the issue here is that whilst training is absolutely essential and we full support of that and I would like to see it mandatory uh, 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 in fact um, the issue is in relation to resources to enable the teacher to uh, make use of that training when a particular circumstance arises uh, 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 and then the need to have someone else in the classroom, I suppose, for the, the remaining, say, 29 children. So th- th- there's issues in that regard.
13: There are, are, and I suppose the contrast the, that Daniel, is that the whole focus of a positive behaviour support approach, which is trauma-informed, which is needs-based. It's, it focuses on the reduction of incidents of um, behavior challenge. You challenge. Know, it's, it's not a case simply that this is a, a different way of handling
1: challenging behavior. It's a way of, of essentially trying to avoid yeah.
13: incidents arising where restraint or seclusion would otherwise be, be used. Yeah, yeah. So it's resource intensive, but the resources are at the entirely on the other end of the process. They're not resources which are focused on dealing with a crisis. They're resources which are focused on preventing a crisis arising. And with that in mind, that's going to improve the situation, not only for the children that are involved, but for all the other children in the classroom, and for the teacher themselves, because you wouldn't have a situation. We have these traumatic experiences occurring as frequently. It's really about avoiding the
3: occurrence of those times. Yeah, so, so that, that touches on a question that I had in relation to how you would see it operating in a classroom where there's 30 children. Uh, or with one classroom assistant only to support a child uh, that finds themselves in that circumstance. So you, you've oh, touched on that very well. Uh, do, do you believe that all school staff uh, will need special training? I think any. On this earlier, but any any school
13: staff that have a direct engagement with children, it, I think, should be trained. Yes. Um, now it's, it needs to be borne in mind that not every child in a special educational setting is going to be a child, the child who who dis or me who demonstrates behaviours that are considered challenging. You know, there will be many, many children um, in special educational contexts that require a positive behaviour support plan. So it's not a case for saying this is a blanket approach for every child. And I think in any context, taking a blanket approach is the wrong approach. Because every approach, that, that every, every positive behaviour support plan which is introduced for a child in Rotherland needs to be tailored to meet that child's individual needs because you know it's entirely wrong to think and I'm not suggesting I'm not suggesting for a second this is a that it's you it like suddenly come from the notion that every child with a learning disability um, is the same child. You, they're entirely different individuals yeah, they have yeah. entirely different needs. Yeah. Um, there will be a commonality at times, but every positive behaviour support plan in this
2: case <laughs> needs to be tailored to the needs of the individual child. In reality, as adults as a spectrum disorder, their needs may differ significantly, for example,
13: from Thaldeus Down syndrome, for example. Um, so it needs to be... Uh, individually,
3: children and um, specific. Yeah, so, so, in practical terms, in chair and charges indulge me slightly, So, I'm just trying to get my head around this. So, in practical terms, if a teacher is fully trained in the front of a classroom with 30 children and th- there's an issue that arises, then there's a problem. And the problem presents, then, that the teacher's attention must divert to that particular child what happens for the other 29 children. So so all of this is very important and there is a very serious issue that does need to be addressed and and I fully recognise that. But we can talk about all the great plans but unless there is necessary resources to back those plans up this is unworkable. And it would actually add further pressure and stress to teachers who in in a very Diverse society, uh, and 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 where we're having more and more uh, children with special educational needs in mainstream schools, we're we're seeing uh, those challenges uh, compounded uh, each and every day, and the stress on teachers. So teachers have, in effect, uh, in many instances, become social workers. Now they have adapted and they changed. And that's what teachers do. But I'm just saying, in practical terms, what what how how can this be workable without resource? You know, training is essential and necessary and very important, uh, 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 and, and uh, I'm in full support of it. But in a, in a, on a normal day, thirty children, one child has an issue, the teacher's attention diverts that child. What happens? I don't think it's. I don't think we
13: want our now to start trying to develop. You know, what the possible of your short plan would need to be. You need to think in, in terms of what who that child is, what their needs are. Um, but I think you're, you're kind of answering the question by saying, you know, without a resource, how is this going to be addressed? I think my response to that would be, we need resources to address this problem. Yeah,
3: yeah. and that, that's yeah. the I point of the thing that's, thing that's, thing. that's what I want you to say.
2: The other
13: thing is, if you look at the Scottish situation, um, I think when I came to this at first, my maybe naive understanding was that the Scottish government produced this guidance because they were super duper progressive. The Scottish Government produced this guidance because their hand was forced by a judicial review supported by the Scottish Equality and Human Rights um, Commission. It could well be a case that in Northern Ireland a some situation
2: arises. Um, my recommendation would be that the Department and the minister, you know, get ahead of this um, before it could
13: become uh, an issue that has to be addressed rather than an issue that they can voluntarily address.
3: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you, you've 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 said what you, did you say. That resources are essential. <laughs> no. Thanks very much. And just just from a personal experience, I'm a, a, an uncle of a, a five-year-old, uh, nonverbal child, and, and I see the huge. Uh, uh, challenges in in terms of support that my sister and and her family go through in trying to get that child to support that he so desperately needs at times. And uh, and I also recognise fully the the, the work of of schools in those circumstances, but it has been compounded by COVID and I just want to put that firmly on uh, the record. But I appreciate what you've said,
0: I think resources is key, yeah. Thanks Daniel. Can I bring in Nicola Brogan, MLA?
10: Thank you, Chair. Um, thanks, Andy and Carolyn, for your update today. This is all new to me as well. It's actually only my second week on the Education Committee. Um, so it was really interesting to hear all, all of this. And it definitely is um, obviously so important. And I can only imagine what parents and children go through, um, you know, who experience this. Just, um, Andy, on your last point there about the Scottish Government and um, their approach, like... Um, the approach was taken around the human rights to the child, can you advise um, of the human and children's rights impacts of the current departmental position on this issue here? Not here, not here. whoever's <coughs> not
5: on mute.
0: Yeah, sorry. Mem- members, can I just reiterate the need for anyone who is not speaking to be on mute and... It's Carolyn. <laughs> oh, no, it is okay. Um, Carolyn, I think it might be a bit of interference. Um, for you as well, there. So um, that seems to be it now, though. Nick, Nicola, do you want to just uh, reiterate that final point of your question there?
10: Yeah, so just basically what you're discussing there about the Scottish Government and how that affected human rights of the child. Um, can you advise on the human rights and children's rights, the impact of that on from the current departmental position here on this issue?
0: Okay, did you, you guys pick that up, okay? Yes.
11: Yeah, okay. Yeah, all. Okay. Um, Thank you very much for the question.
13: In terms, of, in terms of the existing situation in Northern Ireland um, I don't know if we can speak directly to how the, the how that sits um, in relation to various different human rights legislation and, and international treaties, um, but I would just point that the, the Scottish um, and Young People's Commissioners report was this place it highlighted shortcomings in relation to the, Russia, sorry, the UN um, uh, Convention on Rights of the Child, the UN Convention on Rights for People, Dis- People with Disabilities, and also the European Convention on Human Rights. I'm sorry, I just made my little point to go out to a nursery just walk past the window and just track a So uh,
2: this is working from home at this moment. Um I would recommend
13: in relation to that. We're not experts in relation to human rights um, issues. I know that the Children's Law Centre, um, they are um, they, they, they work on issues in relation to the UN and Convention on the Rights of the Child. Northern Ireland Human Rights Commission will be able to speak to issues in relation to the Euro- European Convention on Human Rights and I think to have a really detailed assessment of how the situation in Northern Ireland in relation to the, the guidance or lack of guidance um, intersects with human rights um, law I think it would be worth reaching out to one of those organisations that could speak um, with a lot more competence. The, the only issue I would say, and I, this is an interesting one, that there's, there's, there's four significant documents Which are the Department for Education's documents? um, One which goes back to 1998. So there is a 1998 circular which is on promoting sustaining good behaviour in schools. The 1999 circular which is pastoral care guidance on the use of reasonable force to restrain or control pupils. 2001 um, document, Pastoral Care in Schools Promoting Positive Behaviour. And then the 2004 regional policy framework on the use of reasonable force. And safe handling. And when I was reading through that, that's a document I only came to be aware of quite recently. It requires that all incidents involving the use of reasonable force must be recorded in the school's agreed pro um, and then the school's principal will keep an accurate, up to date record of all such incidents. Um, and that um, immediately after an incident, um, there will be engagement with families to, 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 to ensure they are kept up to date. That doesn't seem to be happening. The issue being with the issue of restraint and seclusion is that restraint, all the the guidance from the department focuses on the use of reasonable force in a disciplinary context. Restraint and seclusion shouldn't ever be used in a punitive or disciplinary way, but I don't quite understand why um, restraint is being used under that 2004 reasonable policy framework that um, parents aren't being informed that it's happening. And it says, I think just to look at it explicitly, um, parents care should be contacted as soon as possible and the incident explained to them. Um, They must also be recorded in the record report of the use of reasonable forces defined in the school's policy. Um, So that's just something that I don't think is being covered yet.
10: Yeah, absolutely, I'd agree with you there, Andy. You'd imagine that that would be kind of the first protocol after an incident. Um, Is that mandatory then? as part of the, the whatever that recommendation was made in 2004, do you say? Um, well, it's, yeah, the
13: neutral policy framework it, that applies that across um, schools in north. England. So I, I, in terms of whether it's, you know, I don't think it's, it's a statutory um, uh, guidance, but whether or not it's going mandatory, sure, I I don't actually know the answer to that. Um, I don't know, I'm sorry. No, that's OK. No, right, that's, uh, i trying
12: to unmute there. Sorry, I think I was muted and unmuted. Uh, I think my understanding is that it, it, it's it's not on statutes, It's not on legislation. It is there as guidance under a departmental circular. So it yes, would my understanding that it is um, required under law. But again, that, that those are interesting questions to ask, and I think. I take mean, Andy has referenced there the need to, I think, to link in with the Human Rights Commission. I mean, there are very clear um, human rights um, uh, set out in terms of the, the government kind of practice around this and principles um, of human rights. I mean, absolutely, we will be advocating, and I'm sure many others would, will uh, inform all the work that the department are taking forward in this. So, you know, Article 3 rights in terms of um, you know, freedom to be uh, free from uh, treatment or punishment, which is inhuman or degrading, absolutely speaks to, uh, to the relevance of this issue. Rights to liberty and security, article 5, uh, article 8, right to for private and family life, and the prohibition of discrimination um, as, as a disabled person. So there are very fundamental rights there that would be applied and we would absolutely um, be advocating those principles Inform all of the work that the department are, are leading in, in this regard. Um, I think also it would be useful for the um, committee to consider um speaking with the General the, the Commissioner in terms of some deep feedback in relation to the work that's that's happening there in relation to this issue, because I would imagine they will also take a very human rights based approach to
0: that. Okay.
10: That's great. Um, thank both of you for those answers. Excellent.
0: Thank you. Uh, Justin McNulty. Yeah, okay. Justin? Sure, thank you. Can you hear me there? No, that's that's you. Go ahead. Yeah. Thanks, Chair. Uh, thank you, Andy, thank you, Karen, thank you for your important um, work in this field. And then I'm gonna be in touch
6: with the Sean Keane, and David Shakespeare, two great champions, two great advocates for with uh, the, the concerns we're discussing today. Um, is the Association of Social, social Workers taking a position to inform and shape guidance and education with the Department of Education? Uh, uh,
12: just to the terms that we, we have as a committee, um, yes, have produced a, a paper and we are very keenly expressed to the Department. Um, or, or um, willingness to be involved in, in, in consulting and shaping the work that we, that we do. We, we, we don't have the, the, the power or the authority, unfortunately, to to set um, what the government policy will be, but we would certainly be uh, hoping to be part of one of the many stakeholders who will influence the work that the department
6: are taking forward. Okay. Um,
13: anything further, on me? Um, I would just really focus I just really focus on learning from the, the context elsewhere. The English guidance, which I've said, is a, is a starting point from which the department can work from, but I think it needs to be vastly improved upon. I'd also just point out that in relation to um, other countries, including New Zealand, have um, legislated to prohibit the use of seclusion um, completely. And I think that's definitely an interesting example to be looking at as well. When the Scottish guidance does become um, available, which I presume will be hopefully early next year, I know it's been delayed because of COVID, that will also be be a really useful template for for education to be working from. Um, But I think it's always important that we're striving for the highest standards, that we're not seeking to um, simply copy what's happened elsewhere. If it can be approved upon, I think we should be looking at what's happened elsewhere and always thinking, how can this be? Improved to make sure that the children and young people in, in the education system have
2: their needs met and um, to, to the best standards. Okay, thanks. the okay. in terms of what is the Association of Social Workers
6: role in safeguarding children with special educational needs? Uh, As there are safeguarding gaps that do need closed. And uh, you've talked about social workers in health and education. response for the action they when parents do raise concerns.
12: As we mentioned just in, in our original brief, I mean social workers um, have big responsibility in terms of um, safeguarding concerns. Um, certainly um, we, we note in previous um, reports that there's been some criticism around the uh, the communication between um, education authorities and, and, and social health and social care. And certainly um, in, in terms of um, speaking with the department, we, we did ask um, and were given assurance that there would be representatives uh, in the, the groups going forward, um, from uh, social work, um, as an agency with deep responsibility, um, So I mean, what we've said is that yeah, absolutely, all the parties involved. If there are safeguarding concerns, that will clearly stick with social work Um, and social work would, would take the lead in that alongside, uh under drug protocols that the police are required. Um, and so those procedures are very clearly set out in the, the regional child protection um, guidelines. Which all authorities have the responsibility to, to comply with. And, um, and, uh, what we have said is that going forward, we think you know there needs to be a really um open discussion around uh, with parents, uh, with young people, with the the various stakeholders in terms of developing guidance around how to manage complaints when they first arise and how to try and resolve those issues. But if there are clear um child safeguarding concerns, then absolutely that our responsibility lies with. Um, The social work. Okay,
6: thanks. In terms of um, the training, can any training uh, that's proposed be um, incorporated into any agreed ASD training in order to cut down costs? Again, I think, Jason, I mean, those are questions, I suppose, that in some way will
12: have to go to the department. Um, what we're doing is, is making recommendations around what best practice would be and, and giving our view in terms of uh, how things should develop. In terms of the practicalities of how that's agreed, that, that will involve, no doubt, complicated uh, conversations around, um, you know, time available, uh, release from time humanity uh, and various members already discussed the need and the implications there will be in terms of resources for this. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if there's to be a, a, a whole-scale uh, new education program that will undoubtedly have implications and, and will need to be um, agreed, uh, in terms of how that will be rolled out. Okay, I know your, your
2: terminology uh, about all behaviour being uh, communication and positive behaviour
6: support strategies. Is competent management an appropriate term to use when you're dealing with uh, children with special educational needs? Was that, was that conflict? Conflict management? Is that an appropriate
13: term? I don't think it is an appropriate term, it's not one that we've used. Um, in terms of positive behaviour support, there's a, a really tremendous organisation called the Challenging Behaviour Foundation. They've done some really, really interesting research looking at use of the and inclusion um, across the UK. And they have some really, really useful guidance in terms of what positive behaviour support interventions look
2: like. None of this is you know, really kind of difficult stuff. It's, it's, a lot
13: of it is very, very obvious. Uh, I'll, I'll just take you through one example. You know, so, Challenging Behavior Foundation, will say the positive behaviour support interventions, they need to be informed by a functional assessment to determine the reason for an individual's behaviour. So, once you've
2: determined the reasons behind an individual's behaviour, factors can be altered to reduce
13: that challenging behaviour. So, for example, if elements of the child's environment can be changed, most levels in the context of somebody with heightened sensory awareness, or if a child can be taught new skills, if so a child is non-verbal, for example, and if a child throw thrown a plate at the end of a meal to communicate that they have finished, it'd be a case of teaching that child to sign and finish. finished." this results in a more effective and more acceptable behaviour. Um, but but also benefits the emotional well-being of the child because in contrast if you look at also restrictive responsibility behaviours. To show you the child has a heightened sensory awareness and what we'll place them in seclusion for throwing plates? Mm-hmm. If If your child is biting and you strain them to stop them from biting, this chip, um, it can, it can traumatise the child, but it can also reinforce the behaviour that, that's already there because the child's not being given an alternative way to communicate. So it's about addressing the, ad- addressing the need um, in, in the of the child to communicate if that is what um, uh, the problem is at the root of this situation. Okay, the last question is how will that to be managed and
6: regulators? Will it be at school level or EA or departmental level? I think. Oh, go, go ahead, ahead. 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 you're okay.
13: When we call for guidance. Um, the, the department needs to produce guidance uh, in, in relation to the use of. Uh, guidance aimed at reducing the use of restraint and, and, and preventing the use of situation. So it needs to departmental guidance. But in terms of reporting, I think it's really important that reporting is done it's done consistently across schools so that when if there is an instance where strain has to be used, that then a report is provided to the parents so the parents are aware and there's a follow-up so there can be a discussion as to how the incident occurs and what's going to be done, finally what's going to be done to prevent those sorts of incidents occurring again in the future. That's really important so that those parents are aware of what's happening to their child. But what's absolutely vital, so you've got a, a good idea of what's happening across the whole sector, is that those reports go to the School's Board of Governors but they also go to the Children's we've proposed and to the education authority, so there's an
2: understanding of how many incidents are happening because this is a big, big problem at the moment is because there is no mandatory reporting we are aware of isolated incidents, we don't know how frequently they're happening so we know from the parents that have been very vocal in campaign, we know their, their
13: situations but we don't know where um, incidents are happening and either they're unknown to parents or they're known to parents, but they're just not being, they're not being collected centrally. So we need to have that central collation of all incidents of where extreme diversification is used, so that we can have a really good understanding
6: of the scope of the problem. Okay. Thank you very much for your contributions today. I commend your expertise and commend your friends. So well done, guys. Thank you. Thank
0: you, Justin. And um, finally, is Morris Bradley there? Morris, It He was there. <laughs> we well, There he is. Um, yeah. There yeah, you are. Sorry. I'll be sure. Uh,
6: just not so much a, a, a question. Of, 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 you know,
13: what medical background do the BSAW have to, to, to make these recommendations to teachers? Um, I suppose I'll feel about this kind on here. We don't really represent social workers for and, and, and in relation to the issues, social workers have a key role in safeguarding the, the well-being of children and young people, and that is not a medical issue, that's a social issue, that's about preventing harm. So you don't need to have an understanding of medicine to be able to say what is appropriate and inappropriate in the use of restraint and secretion in, in terms of a child or a young person's um, emotional and physical well-being. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I'm concerned about the
2: feedback yet from the unions nor have you had any engagement from these special schools and that's a big concern
6: of mine that we're actually this presentation they have having their thoughts conveyed to you
13: or us as a committee. I appreciate that and, and th- this is a process, you know, we're working with the department the next we are planning to engage with and um, the special educational sector. It's, it's regrettable to me that having reached out to the unions back in September that the unions didn't um, take up our offer to meet with them to discuss this issue because they will have issues with this and we you know that we're putting um, extra demands on their members and I think
2: we are a member organisation so we saw that as entirely
13: appropriate from one professional body well from professional body to uh, the trade union that we would reach out and, and offer those meetings in the first place unfortunately they didn't get back to us. I would love to be able to come to Canada today and say we've sat down with the five unions and discussed this issue. It's not for, for one of us trying. But you also have no engagement with the, with the Special needs Headmasters? And- no, that's something we plan to do. I would, I would just stress though, and I, I understand this is entirely to entirely um, race, we are a membership body and we're informed by the views of our members. My social workers will be working across Northern Ireland, I mentioned many in schools, They will have knowledge of these issues and will have engaged with um, special educational sectors so we have had those views fed through to us um, from our members that are are working at the co-face, essentially, on this issue. Mm -hmm. Um, Just uh, a warm final comment, really, uh, Mr Chair.
0: Yes, Maurice, Uh, go ahead. I I have feedback from from parents in my constituency who would recommend an overhaul and a wooden branch review from
2: the food members. And little we'll also to take on board the new team we need to review and as it goes and
6: and Irish goes uh, and British goes. <sighs> so, hi there,
12: folks. I'm just back in. Can, can you hear me again? Yes. Yes.
0: Morris. Sorry, my Morris. My uh, has gone. That's okay. I've just
12: come back in, and Morris okay. picked up. Uh, I think on your last question there, um, and I think if I'm right, it was in relation to. Um, some concern that we're, make, we're asking for a written branch review uh, of, of the education system and not the social work system, am I right? You're at, yeah, yeah, go
6: ahead, yeah. Exactly.
12: Well, I, suppose, I, mean, we, we, I suppose we said initially uh, in, in our initial presentation, the reason we got involved in this initially was because um, some parents who had direct experience in contact with with one of our members uh, who'd been involved in uh, writing the document uh, Three Steps to Positive Practice around restrictive practices so it was uh, was a parent who brought the issue to us uh, and asked us to look at, I suppose, in relation to um, social work response and to human rights issues Um, That's the approach that we've taken We are not here to be uh, critical of our teaching colleagues um, nor to uh, uh, to say that they uh, are wholesale engagement per practice that is absolutely not our position and I think we've made that quite clear that we're very supportive of the teaching profession recognising the extreme challenges within which they work ordinarily and let's highlight once again the, the, the even more extreme circumstances they've worked through Covid so we are not here to be critical of them, we are not here to say that we think there is uh, a tremendous level of her practice. What we have done is look at this issue as social workers who have uh, knowledge and training in relation to uh, to children. We've looked at it from the children's point of view and this has always been uh, a person-centred approach. Um, in, In our conversations that we've had, there has been very open engagement from the department that the, uh, the existing guidance is woefully outdated and that was our starting point the guidance that looks at approaches that is 25 years plus old um, and is, is no longer fit for practice that is what we're calling for a review of um, EA and Department uh, for Education have been very open to that, um, to that suggestion and indeed are themselves agreed that they want to look at that what we're saying is that we, uh, we are not um, presenting ourselves as experts in teaching. We are saying as one professional group uh, who need to be involved in this process, We want to be part of that. But absolutely, if the system is to be reviewed uh, and it is with the best interests of children at its heart, and how children um, are developed, supported and nurtured, that that's the focus that every group will have um, in, that, uh, in that approach and we are one part of that, we are by no means the only voice and we would absolutely encourage all uh, who have views and a uh, stake in this situation to be actively involved in that process and responsibility to ensure that all those people are involved rest firmly with
6: the department. Um, yeah. I would still
0: like to hear the response from the unions and the special needs providers etc. and the schools before making any comment and any further. Yeah, th- thanks to that Morrison. I, I, I think as uh, BASW and I have emphasised themselves that stakeholder engagement is absolutely key in relation to this and, and as um, the, the uh, participants from BASW as well have acknowledged that obviously it has been an unprecedented challenging time for um our our school sector in recent months so hopefully that's an engagement that that can take place in in due course Um, andy carolyn an extremely helpful presentation this morning i'm really grateful for all the work that you are doing on this important matter and for all the work that will have gone into your your evidence to the committee here today um, we look forward to staying in touch with you on this important matter um, and, and to see uh, the outcomes uh, that we need to achieve put in place as soon as possible. Thank you. Thank you,
9: sir. Thank you,
0: Thanks. Thank you. Okay, members, can I ask Assembly Broadcasting to remove witnesses and add all members back into the spotlight and keep them there until the end of the meeting? Can I ask the clerk to summarise any actions? Uh, Coming from that briefing.
1: Thanks, Chairperson. Excuse me. <coughs> uh, if I've understood correctly, I think uh, the committee wants to write to the department, just seeking the terms of reference and the membership of the DE working group and advisory panel, and perhaps encouraging the department to include parents, the teaching unions, and indeed the British Association of um, Social Workers um, onto the onto the panel. Um, Perhaps also asking the department about the provision of accredited training for special schools uh, in respect of challenging behaviour and the positive behaviour therapies uh, that have been mentioned. Um, Also just um, perhaps asking the department what guidance and what jurisdiction, what what legislation and what jurisdiction they will be guided by in developing their own um, guidance for Northern Ireland. And then perhaps asking them to confirm whether the recording of incidents of restrictive practice seclusion or restraint is actually mandatory on how it is currently monitored. Department has indicated that in respect of, this is a slightly different thing, symptomatic children um, with COVID-19 being secluded, that is to be recorded, but it is not currently being recorded. Um, or they're, they're rather the department has no way of actually knowing um, how many children have been in that situation. Um, so those things, additionally then, um, Daniel had asked if uh, a question could be included about whether um, this review of um, uh, seclusion and uh, restraint etc. would be uh, included as part of the SEN review and rollout. Additionally, then, perhaps members also want to write to the Human Rights Commission and just ask them about the human rights implications of the absence of guidance on um, restraint and seclusion, etc. Chairperson, anything missing there, members of Chair?
0: Uh, um, no, that's comprehensive, Clark. I'm just conscious that the Children's uh, Commission and Nipso have undertaken work in this regard as well and perhaps um, in the f- at a future date it would be useful to be uh, briefed by... Um, those organisations and perhaps organisations representing parents as well but I think that's something that we can return to in due course. Members, content with those suggested actions? Okay, agreed. Okay, Members then, can we move to agenda item 7 which is correspondence and ask the Clerk to speak to this item. So, Chairperson,
1: Um, there's quite a lot of correspondence, we have 18 items. Uh, A summary note is included from page 192. Uh, If I could ask members if they are content to dispose of the correspondence as per the summary note, with the following exceptions, so there is quite a bit in here. At um, page 216, this is from the Minister, indicating his intention to bring a paper to the Executive in relation to a three-year pilot scheme to address period poverty in schools. The pilot will cost two million, Um, will apply to 10% of schools in year one, and then the idea being it will be rolled out to all schools. Uh, the Minister is seeking an executive direction um, and uh, as I said estimated cost is uh, £2 million. so uh, can I seek committee's agreement chairperson to yeah, right? Yeah, sorry
0: yeah. if I could, um, sorry do you want to finish your action and then I'll just add to that Well oh, no, it wasn't, wasn't
1: much of an action, it was just <laughs> write to the Minister indicating the committee's support for the pilot and uh, forward to the homeless period who raised the issue with I think Deputy Chair Yeah,
0: yeah just in, in addition in, um in terms of what is being proposed, um, it, it, it seems regrettable that the word pilot is in there because I, I think it might actually be more extensive. Perhaps that's there for a, a formality and maybe we, we can address that in, you know, further down the line. But um, the, the programme does appear to be a, a three-stranded programme that will take place over three years, as you say, Clark. We'll have an investment of two million pounds over those three years, and we'll have a a, a three-stranded approach, as I say. One strand being improved access to period products in schools. Um, Second strand being improved menstrual health education and knowledge supported by, say, curriculum materials. Um, And a third being uh, and aim to overcome any stigma attached to menstruation. So there, there appear to be positive proposals in place there. I, I'm not aware of an executive direction um, being commonplace, so we'll, we'll have to see what is involved in that. But um, there does seem to be some progress being made in terms of the rollout of access to period products in schools and improved um, menstrual health education in schools. I think we would maybe want to know a bit more of the detail in that regard, Um, and in addition to writing to emphasise our support for an investment and programme to provide free period products in all schools and enhanced um, education in schools maybe take a, a briefing on this matter from the Department of Education as well. Karen, did you want to come in also? Yeah,
5: I I think there's already a pilot was carried out in eight schools in North Belfast. I don't see the need for another pilot. It's going to take three years. We agreed that it is an issue. We uh, and the Department had agreed it. Um, I would like to see it rolled out in all schools from the beginning. Um, uh, but it may may take about a time, but I don't think it should take three years.
1: Yeah, the the,
0: the cor- correspondence alludes to difficulties um, passing the business case with the Department of Finance. So um, there, you know, there there clearly are some challenges to overcome here. Um, I, I think it'd be useful to engage with the department on this, whether via informal meeting or or formal um, briefing. I know our. Agenda is quite, um, it's quite heavily programmed. the The members want to have some consideration and maybe um, review um, what the difficulties were with the Department of Finance in relation to the business case before deciding whether we request an informal or a formal briefing in relation to the proposals. But in the meantime, just to, sure, yeah, Justin, the,
6: the PM has already launched a consultation in the period. Of poverty. it's our view that that. Paying products should be available free across the north, not just the schools, because paying poverty impacts more than school So, we have lost that constitution. It's our, our intention to bring forward legislation in that our,
0: our, our, in the coming uh, mandate. Yep, that's right. Schools, colleges, and public places, I think, is the um, proposed provision via that uh, PMB, Justin. Yeah. Obviously, our, our remit is schools, and that's why we've been campaigning or supporting the campaign, I should say, for uh, the call for free uh, period product provision in all schools, and uh, Karen is right to note that the proposed programme does not achieve that in year one of the programme. Um, and our, our position as a committee was clear to support free period product provision in all schools now. Yeah. Um, I, it 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 feels like some progress is being made here, mm-hmm. and I, I wouldn't want to um, lose that progress. Um, as I said, the the just in the private members bill will proceed, um, regardless. I imagine of, of what we um, do on the committee and um, 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 potentially even what the department does, um, because as you say, it extends to public places. I think as well. Um, but our remit is in schools. What member? So I take from that that we that saying we support this program would not be an adequate um, reflection of the extent of our of our position on free period product provision in all schools. Um, there, but um, in terms of what an action to um, take that further. I think we would therefore need to engage with the department on this issue, I think we need to just decide whether we do that in an informal briefing, given the nature of our programme for work programme, or, or, a, or a formal briefing. Do members have a view on that now, do you want to request an informal briefing, or do members want to have consideration whether that's an informal or a formal briefing?
5: I'd be content with an informal. I, I would
0: imagine that could be facilitated quicker.
1: Um, I think, Chair, uh, I expect the department will want to come to the committee anyway in the new year to talk about budget matters, and if that's what the problem is, um, that there's a juncture, a segue for members to um, raise this issue um, again, um, or not, or you can. Get- I, i
0: I'm, I'm. It feels like some progress has been made, so I'm reluctant mm. to adopt a confrontational approach with the department on this occasion. Um, okay. And, and but and, and therefore we'd be content to take an informal briefing, um, if that can be provided promptly. If it yep. can't, then you know it defeats the purpose to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Can we can we in 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 that correspondence then um, absolutely forward this uh, correspondence to Homeless uh, Period Belfast and respond to the department to ask for a, a fuller briefing mm-hmm. on the matter informally, if that can, if that means that it can be provided sooner rather than later, okay. um, otherwise we would have to request a formal meeting. Members content with that approach? Content. Okay. Um, without prejudice to the Private Members' Bill, obviously, Justin. Okay.
1: Okay. Next item, Clerk. Moving on, then, the only other ones I wanted to pick out was at uh, page 431. Um, this is uh, a copy of a report uh, from an organisation calling itself Independent Sage, entitled Urgent Plan for Safer Schools. Uh, they've been before the Health Committee, uh, a number of their members, I think, on, a, on several occasions. Um, what they suggest, Chairperson committee might do, is to forward that report to the Department and ask it to comment. So it, it's about uh, an Urgent Plan for Safer Schools, uh, to see if the Department has any comments or the recommendations that are made therein. Yep. Yeah. Is that agree? yep. Great. agreed?
0: Yes. Agreed. Um, Clerk, can I just check as well, in terms of Item 7.13, page 348, corresponds from Principal of Strandhout Primary School um, in my and Robins constituency of East Belfast regarding concerns about the special education needs framework, additional workload that personal learning plans place on teachers. Uh, and that due to COVID this framework uh, may not get the due consideration it deserves or is the action to forward that correspondence to the department for response?
1: I think the um, the correspondent had uh, contacted us afterwards and um, okay. uh, asked us not to do that. Okay um, we can take a different approach with that yeah, then that's just, okay. I think they just wanted the comments noted they were thanking the committee for their for their hard work and their good questions that they'd asked about Fair this in framework. Okay no bother um, any other correspondence for a note? I hadn't had anything, members. If members are content, I know there's a lot in there, um, but if they're content with the uh, summary sheet, which is at page 192 to 195, there's a ton.
0: Members agreed? Agreed. Okay, members then, agenda item 8, Forward Work Programme. Can I refer members to Draft Forward Work Programme at page 507? Uh, At next week's meeting, proceedings will have to conclude at noon. It is therefore suggested that the Sports Programme briefing be moved into early in the new year Um, i think that's an unavoidable change clark yeah um are members uh content to endorse the forward work program as amended
5: yeah agreed
0: agreed okay and can i ask members to confirm they will be able to attend wednesday the 6th of january 2021 for the effective questioning training and the committee planning session
5: Confirm.
0: okay that's great. Okay, members. Agenda uh, item 9 is any other business. Uh, can I ask members if they're content with the uh, press release on the TIM survey? I'm content. If that reassures anyone. <laughs>
5: <laughs> no, we'll have to check it now that you're too content. Have a
1: quick glance there then. Okay, sir. It's in tabled items. I think it would be like
0: about the page five or so. Tabled items. I think there's only two tabled items there, Justin. So, yep, tabled items, page eight. Oh, page
1: eight, sorry. It,
0: it, it's, yeah. it's to recognize the achievement and to suggest that uh, longitudinal, longitudinal analysis, tracking progress from primary through to post-primary would be uh, a useful addition as well.
5: Yeah, content. Yeah,
0: members content. marsh justin you had a chance just to that's great okay members thank you then any other business no no okay so our date and time of next meeting is next wednesday the 16th of december in room 29 parliament buildings at 9 a.m and hopefully we will we will have statement from the education minister at some point next week as well then um given the information that we
2: still need Okay members, meeting does not adjourn. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.